Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey folks, we're back. Yeah. Again. Again. It's been a little while, hasn't it? It has. It's been three weeks, I think. Since we recorded last year. a long yeah. time. I kind of miss you a little bit, Ben. I know. I, it's, I, it, everybody misses me. It's a little weird, me. but you know. All right, so who do we have on? Oh, well, me. My name is PJ Shard, otherwise known as Paul Wagner, otherwise known as Wisco Dice on Twitter. Hiya. And, of course, you've got the Conesy with the most here. Yippers. Except the Conesy with the most has now broken the 50-pound milestone. Nice. So we're uh, moving along and the, the no longer being the most. I'll just have to be the mo- the guy. I'll be the Conesy with the most miniatures um, <laughs> from here on out. So Sounds good. Without further ado, let's go ahead and just give a quick thanks to all of our sponsors and contributors to the show. Well, it looks like we should start out with... Wait, there's a new sponsor on here? We do have a new sponsor. It says Prism Gaming. What's Prism Gaming, Ben? Prism Gaming is located at prismgamer.com. They make a number of products that are really kind of neat little accessories from a nice, cool, really cool dice tower, wound counters, movement trays. Their biggest thing, though, that guys like you and me really look at and are concerned with is they have a great paint range. Yes, they do. And I know I know what you guys are saying. Like, oh, another company that makes paints. <laughs> How do I know which one to buy? Well, these guys have a great range. Paints, everything they sell is, is roughly in the $5 price range mm-hmm. for the paints. The washes are flat on. I've used them. They're flat on amazing. They're, they really remind me in how they get applied to the old and probably even the current. I don't have any experience with the current set at all, but the old set at all paint, uh, washes, they're like very spot on for how they go on and apply to the model and how you'd use them. The bases that they have are just these really thick. And you get the, the containers, are they have a screw-on cap with a piece of, cardboard or whatever at the top to give it a better seal when you close the bottle Mm -hmm. so they don't and they don't add like natural dryers or anything like that yep uh, drying elements to the paint like some other companies might Mm -hmm. so these are some very thick pigments very thick paints definitely made for cutting uh and made for spreading a little bit thinner so you get a little bit more mileage out of your paint money yeah not only not only the base is really thick and full of pigment but, you know, so that you can thin them down and, and whatever and get even more mileage. But for that $5 price point, it's like getting twice the quantity of paint and what you get from anybody else. All right. And that's prismgamer.com, right? Yes. P-R-I-S-M gamer.com. Check them out. Next one we got, Last Square, located on Odana Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They have all your miniature needs. They are located... Like I said, on Odana Road, they're the best store on the west side of Madison. So check them out if you have any miniature concerns. And they do have a website we should make sure we mention. Which is thelastsquare.com. And they also have a blog on there, thelastsquare.com slash blog. As well as the online store. Correct. The most important part, actually, for our listeners. Mm-hmm. That's Unless true. you're in the Madison area. Mm-hmm. And that online store is 20% off of Games Workshop miniatures at all times, which all right. is pretty sweet. Then we go on and we go ahead and move on to Misty Mountain Games and Diversions here in Madison, Wisconsin. It's right on Cottage Grove Road. Over here on the east side. Biggest venue in town for hosting any of your events. Of course, they're a the proud host of this year's Merry Mayhem 2012, which we haven't really talked about a whole lot on the show, but mm-hmm. I guess we should give it a quick plug here since we're talking about Misty and everything. Yep. Misty has been gracious enough to give us a space again this year at their wonderful 
Wisco Dice type discounts for us. <laughs> and basically, Mary Mayhem has evolved this year. It started out as just a Warhammer Fantasy tournament a few years ago with a giant charity raffle for Toys for Tots. Yep, we've kept that. We've kept the giant charity raffle for Toys for Tots. This year, we're using the the Warmer Fantasy Tournament. It's going to be a, a Wog Pack of Primer. We're embracing that concept finally. On top of that, we've got a privateer press event where they're going to bring this giant wheel that you spin for determining what your caster is going to be. You don't bring you bring your list, but you don't bring you don't have a caster assigned to it. Yeah. You spin on the wheel to get your caster. For those in the know, it's called a Who's the Boss event. Yes. Then. On Sunday, we're actually going to, we've expanded it. It's not only, I shouldn't say it's not just a Saturday, Sunday. It is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. Friday night, there'll be open gaming, mm-hmm. both for Warhammer, board games, whatever. Saturday night, of course, we're going to record Wisco Dice at the event. Exactly. And Sunday, we're going to move into, there's going to be a Warhammer 40K. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a Warhammer Fantasy Monster Mash, which Paul's working on the rules, I see. Correct. For And on top of that, we're going to do some little chariot races. And we'll be the first cast to kind of point out, I've mentioned it, I think, on some interviews I've done, that there's a rumor that there might be a Mantic Kings of War event as well on Sunday. Oh, well, all so, right then. I'd be, that'd be really cool to be one of the first events to include Mantic and Kings of War in the Midwest, so... That's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of a lot of war gamers moving through the fantasy event. I mean, it's thirty six players for fantasies topping out thirty six players for War Machine. The place is going to be packed on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I fully expect the place to be packed on Sunday. Misty Mountain Games and Diversion here on Cottage Grove Road, Merry Mayhem twenty twelve. You can catch Merry Mayhem at Merry Mayhem dot com for all your information. Sign up, questions, anything you got like that. All right, and last but definitely not least, we have our. Oldest sponsor, the WWHFB. That's the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. And you can go out there, check out what's going on as far as the local areas, Madison, Milwaukee, Appleton, all that kind of stuff. And you can check out what tournaments are going on, basically all the Warhammer that's going on in Wisconsin. And I did notice recently that there was actually two smaller leagues announced, actually, for Madison itself, right? Yeah, we have announced for Madison over at Last Square at our show sponsor they're going to have an escalation start escalation league starting come september whatever the first tuesday is in september and then every Mm -hmm. week it'll be a building league it's great for new players to get involved it's great for experienced players that are maybe looking to expand or build a new army or just get an old army painted yeah or just to be that excuse to drive and and build that and the escalation league it's not only we're going to play some games that are at lower points levels for that are good for new players to get started Mm -hmm. but we're going to focus and have Every third week of the Escalation League will be a focused hobby night. Mm-hmm. So that'll be really cool. On top of that, then, the WWHFB is strongly involved in running a... It's going to be a campaign... Mighty Empires campaign. Using, using the Mighty Empire mm-hmm. rules. Thousand points, modified. right? Yep, we're going to use a thousand points over here at Misty Mountain Games. And that's going to start in October. Every Thursday in October will be... And then going on until the campaign ends. It's gonna. There's gonna be a few custom rules. I'm currently working on putting together the rules pack for that because it won't be straight up Mighty Empires. It's going to be a little bit of the twist on the Mighty Empires, some of the Blood and whatever is it, Blood in the Badlands mm-hmm. kind of supplement book that they put out. So there's gonna be a kind of a, a neat. The idea is to try to promote creating not only a map campaign 
but to get a little story and hopefully to encourage some of the players that are playing in it to just do it. I mean, it doesn't have to be intense blogging or intense anything. If you just, if, if everybody put together just a few sentences about, you know, their generals to start out with and how they feel like their game has advanced or whatever. And I've laid out a, and I'm laying out as part of the rule pack, a little bit of background to help with that. Mm -hmm. So it should be really neat. And it should give those players that are looking for a little more than just tournament play, you know, just <laughs> games after game, after game, after game, it should give them a lot of something extra. And it's just something that we've really been missing in Madison for a long time. We just haven't done anything like this. Correct. Not for a lack of wanting to. So yeah, I very likely I'll pick up another Mighty Empires box just to make sure I have the extra tiles for our future events because this is going to be limited to six players. All right. Well, that sounds great. Uh, what do we intend to cover today, Ben? All right. Well, today we're going to talk about sportsmanship. It's going to be basically a sportsmanship 101 type talk. I really don't want it to just, for you guys that don't aren't necessarily big-time Warhammer players or not big tournament players, this isn't directed. It, it's certainly the things I think we'll talk about will be applicable applicable to tournament play for mm -hmm. those tournament players but it's really more of it wants it should be a, a kind of a discussion of sportsmanship as a whole over the course of whatever game you're playing a lot of the things and tips and tricks mm -hmm. and things that we talk about you should be able to apply and consider you know about your own self for whatever game you play almost think of it as a gentleman's guide to gaming yep on top of that since it's been such a long time, there's been a couple of major events that Wisco Dice has been at mm -hmm. since. So we're going to do a little recap on that. Of course, the big one being Gen Con. Gen Con! Um, which was amazing and a ton of fun. <laughs> and then, of course, I was at last weekend, the uh, Last Cheese Standing out in Ohio that was rent by the Ohammer. Oh, you know, the fan that stayed so bad I can't even say the state's name, the Ohio <laughs> Hammer guys. It really it wasn't, but. I always got to get my digs in. <laughs> All right. So without that, let's go ahead and move into what we've done for the last couple of weeks. So, Paul, have you done anything in the last three weeks other than take care of your kid? Yes, I have done some stuff. Not a whole lot because, to be honest, I kind of took a little bit of a Warhammer break. I, after 10 weekends in a row of doing podcasting tournaments and tournaments and podcasting, I was a little worn out. So I took a little bit of a break, uh, but I did actually – get an intro game in with one of the new members of the WHFB. He bought the Island of Blood set and he's playing at the High Elves. So I got a nice intro game in with him, going over the basic rules of how Warhammer works. And it's always a little bit surprising to me when I do those rules, how many times I think about, have to think a little bit more than I thought I did about what the rules actually say. And the questions that the person asks me always make me think of, oh, well, I just assume that it works this way and, you know, I didn't find anything that I was doing wrong. It's more of just a different way of looking at the game. And I really appreciate doing intro games for that reason and of itself. Uh, and also, I went to the last square, had a garage sale day where any gamer could go in, rent a table for like 10 or 15 bucks, and then just put out all their miniatures, put them up for sale. So I went in and I ended up picking up an Arachnorok and the back pieces, or I'm sorry, the stomach pieces from a Turvagon model. So that's the Tyranid model that has the brood sack that have the, the little guys coming out of it. It's something on a round base that most yeah. of us fantasy guys don't have a clue what it is. Exactly. So what I ended up doing was I cut off the back top of the Arachnorok and then put the birthing sack in the back and then put the shell back on it to kind of look like it's falling apart and I'm going to pose it to look a little bit dead. 
I decided I wanted to have an Arachnarok almost as a terrain piece um, so that I could have little spiders coming out of this dead Arachnarok that was sitting on the back of the base. So that pretty much is the total of my hobby, although I did assemble one other miniature. Uh, ben was gracious enough to pick up a model for me at Gen Con, the Bane Lords, Dakuch the Broken. This is the first Bane Lords figure either of us have owned, right? Correct. Um, and for me, I didn't really care about the name, but it's a gorgeous Beast Lord BSB model. Yeah, it's it is a top notch. I'm I had already converted a Beast Lord for my army, and I'm really happy with him. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, did I almost buy this guy for myself? Even still, he is really sharp. The whole thing, everything that Bane Lords has is this is just. It, it takes you, you if you really like the way GW stuff looks. Mm-hmm. Bane Lords basically takes that, in my opinion, to the next step up. All as far as level of detail on models, mm-hmm. you might not necessarily agree with their aesthetics for everything they do. Mm-hmm. That's certainly a granted and a given. But my goodness, this in particular, this uh, the Beast Lord BSB fits right into your GW line mm-hmm. while having this super fine detail on them yep. that just will help him pop and stand out without you having to go to any crazy level of modeling or hobbying. Yeah, they they tend to look a little bit more realistic and more based in reality than the Games Workshop miniatures do. But for all that, they still fit in well with the Games Workshop range. So I really appreciate them for that. I love any kind of an alternative mini that really gives you an option to have a different pose or just something different in your army when you place it on the table. Sure thing. So I mean that was that was great. There was a lot of really cool minis, and we'll talk about that at Gen Con about what I saw at Gen Con a little bit. So that was pretty much it for my hobby, gaming, etc. Since we since we kind of got on the the Hermagon, the the round basis thing, it just yep. everybody knows, and we don't talk about 40k very much. And no. for those of you that just kind of tune out as soon as you hear it, yay! But the new box set for Dark Vengeance, the new 40k starter kit, I got to say I'm, I'm very impressed, and I had to. Give it a real shout out for for that kit. It's I didn't expect the models. I mean, it's you take like mm-hmm. the Island of Blood models, and it's like the next level up. Like these are spot on. I mean, why would I want to buy anything else? I can just get for my Chaos Army. I can just boom. I bought. I'll buy a Dark yep. Vengeance, and then maybe get another set of Dark Vengeance models for Chaos. And they're that'll getting, be a nice addition to my current collection. Correct. They're getting to the level where the only reason that you're going to know that these were in a starter set is because everybody knows what was in the starter set. As opposed to the old starter sets where you can tell that it was a starter set because it was obviously worse than the miniatures that you got for the army normally. These are just the, amazing level of detail. The only, the only thing I wish they'd do is take like the starter set of miniatures, mm-hmm. put a starter rule book in there, yep. and just do it. Instead of winning both factions, mm-hmm. just give me one faction at that level mm-hmm. for a starter kit. and Put that in like a $75 to $100 price point. Mm-hmm. My goodness, that would be such an easy way for people for to get started with a game. Mm-hmm. Do that for most of your armies. Wow, that would be awesome. Yep, It really would. I mean, I don't know what it takes to do that, but I, I know there's other companies out there that do it, and mm-hmm. Games Workshop should... Okay, that's almost like a Conzi ramp, but Games Workshop <laughs> should be... Uh, get on the get on this game board, and when, when they get around to doing fantasy, don't don't give us one giant box set. I know that's what you've done. Give us a bunch of starter kits for a bunch of different armies. All right. 
It helps players get started. And Lord knows anything to help them get their foot in the door. Once you get that foot in the door, it's so it's so easy usually to get them to stick with it. But anyway, since my head is now hurting at looking at Space Marines, I think yeah, maybe we should move on. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and I'll just cover the stuff that didn't wasn't at the events that I went to. All right. I went – obviously, I went to Gen Con and I went to the last cheese standing, which were amazing events, but we'll talk about them a little bit. On top of that, the gent that you demo gamed, mm-hmm. I got – I've played two games against him now. He's – I got to I got to give the kid credit. He is one of the most energetic new players for like I just want to play and get going and do stuff with it and he's getting his stuff painted and mm-hmm. he's really gung-ho for lots of Warhammer. So that's really good and really exciting. I'm I'm glad to have somebody like that added to the crew. He's got a buddy of his, evidently his buddy works some odd hours, so hopefully we'll, I'll get something worked out and be able to hook that hook up with them again and and mm-hmm. get get his buddy started with Skaven as well. So I got those. Played some games a couple weeks ago on a Sunday here. Okay. Between the time we recorded last. Dustin came over, and I took him on with my Dark Elves at 2,000 points. Uh, he was playing Chaos Dwarves. He's, oh, okay. He's converting, and Dustin does an amazing job converting everything. And his Chaos, War, Dwar, the Chaos Dwarves are no exception. <laughs> Good. They're really... Everything is custom. It's all converted. It's not like... Okay, he just took some dwarfs and painted them made black. some curly beards on them, <laughs> or took some dwarves and painted them purple or black or whatever, and called them cast dwarfs. No, everything is really cust- really cool, custom converted. His bull centaurs were like, wow! Like my wife is going, I want those, and I'm like, well, you can't get you those because he's <laughs> he's kit bashing the entire thing. <laughs> so unless I kit bash that, you're not getting it. But then, then she saw the the actual ones from Forge World, Forge World, and, and she's like, and "I like, want yeah, those." Yeah, which almost turned into I came home with a bunch of cast from <laughs> Gen Con, but that didn't happen, fortunately. <laughs> fortunately, um, why would you not want another army? It's it's not that I don't want another army. It's that I have. I don't. I think we've mentioned it a little bit. Or I mean, I've mentioned it on the show, but I've adopted recently that I'm not going to play with it unless it's painted policy. Yeah, which is the way I used to play when I first got into the hobby. I just, I mean, there's a certain amount of okay when you're first getting into the hobby that in order to in order to do anything, you have to play with unpainted. But once I got to the point where I had enough stuff to play with that was painted to make you know, 2000 points. Mm-hmm. I was no longer, I no longer played with unpainted stuff. So if I bought something I had, I tried to, if there were a bunch of other things I wanted to buy or whatever, mm-hmm. I tried to get things painted as I was purchasing them. So to try to keep some of my crazy purchasing in check, <laughs> I'm trying very hard to only play with models that I have painted. All right. So, and that goes for, I'm trying to get into Malifaux right now. I'm getting, I'm getting back into Hordes right now with uh, Circle Army, which is what I had in Hordes before. I'm trying to get into Flames of War with Americans right mm-hmm. now. So I've got a lot of other miniatures. I got my Starship Trooper stuff. I want to get all that painted. So I've got a lot of stuff on the table I want to get painted, which actually will lead, a, lead me into a, a coming challenge for 2013. Mm-hmm. But... You know, one of the things that's really, you know, that's really a major thing for me right now, and I'm really trying hard to meet those goals. Yeah. On top of that, after I got done playing Dustin in this, anyways, in this game, I, I realized that, oh my God, could I? 
<laughs> oh, can I? It's now in yeah. Dustin's list. I mean, he doesn't. There's not. I mean, the bull centaurs are tough as nails too. They don't kill things very well, but they're just tough as nails to do anything. Of course, I didn't. I did a pretty good job in our game of mitigating the bull centaurs. They mm-hmm. they chased off some shades, and that was about it. But the Kadai, I mean, that was. I took through mind razored blackguard into it, and that <laughs> at, took two rounds of combat to finally pop it. And it was really it came down to the last ward save. If I if he passed the last <laughs> ward save, I probably would have lost my blackguard the following turn. Nice, uh, mostly because I had miscast my wizard and lost her to a <laughs> dimensional cascade. dimensional cascade. But <laughs> <laughs> that's unhelpful. You know, it wasn't. But there wasn't. I mean. Wow, I can't. I mean, the cast dwarves, you know, they put a Gadai on the table and a couple of war machines. There's not a lot of rest of the army. I mean, nope. he had one giant block of cast dwarves, mm-hmm. which I got into combat once, mind razored, killed the Dickens out of, and then they fled, and we got a building stuck between me and him, and I didn't catch him on the flea roll, and then I could never get to him really again. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was, it was a good, it was a really good game. It was really uh, an eye opener. It definitely helped me see how to play against cast dwarves in the future. So yeah. then we played a second game. Uh, Brian Cuny came over and disturbed Mach 1 from the show before. And we played a second game with Dustin still here. Dustin still played 2K worth of cast dwarves. And I teamed up with Cuny's Bretts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took dwarves. So I'm like, okay, I'll just take regular dwarves. I'll pike a cannon and a stone thrower. And we, you know, we both fielded 1K. Mm-hmm. You know, I fired like three cannonballs into the Kadai, <laughs> never killed it. Of course, I, I let Brian talk me into having his knights charge the Kadai, a uh, uh, unit of knights errant. Uh-huh. And of course, turn one, he charges, the Kadai runs like smack dab in our face forward, mm-hmm. just like you should for the Kadai. He charges him with his knights, which I'm telling him like, that's a bad idea. You should just uh-huh. let me shoot it. You know, chances of us killing it for me shooting it, much better than your knights doing anything. And his knights didn't do anything, but he held it there for a round of combat. Yeah. Unfortunately, his knights being there like that, Dustin's got a couple of lone hobgoblins on wolves, and his knights were in the way, so I couldn't see one of the hobgoblins <laughs> to shoot it with, like, my repeat or my crossbow dwarfs. Yeah. So I only was able to kill one. The other one was able to then charge me my stone thrower. So my stone thrower got one shot off before it was done. And then That's the Kadai just ran rampant over. After after the second round of combat, his mm-hmm. knights were engaged with it. The knights broke. Kadai ate him. And then the Kadai just basically destroyed my dwarfs <laughs> single-handedly. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, the only thing I had, I mean, I got to get rid of it with a cannonball. Otherwise... Uh-huh. You know, I'm. I have nothing to really deal with it. I don't so. know why they called it a Kadai destroyer. They just called it a black hole because it just eats everything that comes near it. I mean, I mean, the dark elves. I had. I mean, I had as long as I have mind razor. You know, if I'm taking Laura Shadow, as long as I got mind razor, mm-hmm. I can smoke it pretty good. Or if I got Laura Death, I can take the the snipe spells, yeah. and and do pretty well against it. That actually sounds pretty similar to the list that I was thinking about running for Chaos Dwarves, which would be a big a. One block of Chaos Warriors, uh, Chaos Dwarf Warriors for my core. Um, and then you'd have the Bull Centaurs, you'd have the Kadai Destroyer, and then also you'd have the the Lord on the Flying Bull. I think that'd look like a pretty cool list. So 
It's you fun know. to hear that somebody's actually doing some, having some fun with a similar list. I mean, I, I think that build, Dustin's build's pretty close to what most people are are running. I've I've actually never seen. Well, it's what, it sounds real close to yeah. to what um, Grant to what on. Grant ran mm-hmm. or what Grant's kind of intending to build. Okay, and from what I've kind of read and poked around on the nets, it's kind of. Because, of course, as soon as the wife said, oh, hey, I, I really want you to buy those because <laughs> those look really cool. And that's mm-hmm. usually as far as she gets with miniatures. Yeah. I went, okay. And then I did a little research because it's Forge World models I'd buy. Yeah. That's one of the things. Castworfs, I mean, it's like you see two or three converted Castworf armies at least, probably more than that, to every one actual Chaos Dwarf model army. I've never seen a Chaos Dwarf model army. Well, uh, a full one on the table, yeah. I mean, never. I guess uh, Chris from yeah. from old Garage Hammer fame. Yep, his was. Yep, his had a couple models in it, but his was his wasn't all Forge World models. But he, I mean, mm-hmm. he had at least all original Chaos Dwarfs. Correct. It wasn't like, oh, hey, there was... Oh, no, there was no converting or anything like that. Yeah, they were all like GW models or... or Forge World. But I would love to see an actual Forge we World. We should have one army. at Mayhem. All right, cool. Uh, Matt Herbald is actually bringing Nice. Bringing That'll be pretty his. sweet. He's bought his entirely from Forge World. That's why he's been selling off like his old Skaven, which look amazing and stuff. Yeah. Very, very cool. So, yeah, so that's pretty much i think that's pretty much all of the gaming i got i guess hobby wise i've been i've been working on painting my because i bought descent 2 mm-hmm. so i've been working on painting up the descent 2 heroes and then i'll work on painting up the descent 2 monsters i also spend a lot of time as i'm getting geared up for mayhem i need to make some more terrain and building so i cast a ton of her start blocks bricks about 10 pounds worth of plaster i went through Unfortunately, it's not enough to assemble any buildings yet. I need about another 10 pounds of plaster <laughs> to finish them, and I ran out. Yeah. So I'm waiting on a new shipment of plaster to come in before I can start cranking out more bricks. But that also is going to include my 3D descent board mm-hmm. as well. So I'll get all the tiles for that done. Or I'm working on getting all the tiles for that done. So then I'll get that painted up. And so that, that's kind of kicked me into, like, I want to get my descent, my descent 2 painted up. And then I'll go back and start painting all my old descent stuff as I get time. Mm-hmm. Then I've got on the on the hobby table. I've got I'm working on kind of. I bought a bunch of hordes circle stuff a while ago, which was kind of beat up a little bit and whatever. So I'm going through and it's none of most of it's not painted. So I'm going just go having to go through and fix and repair the figs and get them on the table so I can get them to the point where I can prime them and paint them. Mm-hmm. And then I've got all of my flames of war stuff. I'm still painting. Slowly but surely, I'm getting those painted up. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not. It's since I'm not playing it, it's not been a huge push. But when I get a chance, or I'm looking to paint something different, it is kind of nice to go and paint up a few, few bases of those guys. So that's pretty much what I've been working on, what I've gotten done. I know I'm pretty sure my goal from last time was just to try to get some hobby done, and yeah. instead I've gotten an amazing amount of hobby on top of all the travel and gaming I've done. So very cool. My goal was to get three colors on the spiders themselves, and I, I failed. So, <laughs> no surprise there, but hey. No, unfortunately. All right, so anyways, let's go ahead, and I think we'll cut a break here. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about Last Cheese Standing, Gen Con, and, and get to our Awesome Models You Might Have Missed segment. All right, so. so sounds good. See you in a couple. 
And in this quarter, we have Paul Wagner, otherwise known as PJ Shard, otherwise known as at Wisco Dice. And in this corner, we have Ben Cohn, otherwise known as Duggan Brightax, otherwise known as the Conesy with the most. Yes, and it's going to be the fight of the century on October 20th, only available on pay-per-view. What do you mean, pay-per-view? Pay-per-view. you got to donate to ExtraLife.org, otherwise we're not going to have this fight of the century happen. What's this, ExtraLife.org? ExtraLife.org. You see, what the thing is, it's a charity where you donate for kids that don't have enough money. But anyway, on the Warhammer, if you donate and we meet our goals by October 20th, we're going to play a game of Warhammer Fantasy at 21 hours of our 24 hours of being awake. That sounds like it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, and we're going to play it for you unedited. That'll be amazing. Yeah, and that's only available if you donate to ExtraLife.org. Yep. ExtraLife.org. ExtraLife.org. Saturday, October 20th. Be there! And we're back! Without further ado, let's go ahead and quick. I want to go ahead and at last cheese standing, we got a group that wanted to go ahead and give a shout out. So let's go ahead and just quick take care of that, and then we'll go ahead and move on to talking about Gen Con. All right. Oh, I believe that group is the TC War Room. Is that correct? It is. It's the TC War Room. Which, They're in Traverse City, Michigan. Yep. It's a it's a paintball. St- they got they do paintball and and they also do gaming and gaming products and stuff like that. And it was really cool. I got to meet the owner and and there were a few other members. And in particular, I want to go ahead and their shout out. I want to mention Andrew Rapman, uh, Wayne Barry, Dave. They all, they all fought at last year's standing. And they wanted to go ahead and thank then Matt Teeter and Steve Haver for introducing the game to the TC War Room. So there you go, there you guys go. Thanks for the shout out. We really appreciate it. Everything those kind of contributions do go a long ways to helping us run the show and keep the show going. So from both of us, Paul and I, thank you guys. It was great meeting you. If you're in Travis City or in Michigan, take take the time to stop out, catch uh, what's going on in their stores. Everything sounds great. Sounds like he's getting a new facility. It's gonna be bigger. All right, very cool. Very cool, very much. I, it's always lot, nice to have a place to go when you're going for vacation somewhere. So, and I know yeah, Traverse City is big for yeah, vacation. Definitely in the so. back of my mind. Heck, I, I'll be watching for events now for those guys. And good Lord, I, you know, I've been traveling like crazy lately. So <laughs> who knows? I may end up over there as well sometime in the future. All right. So you mentioned the last cheese standing. What was that, Ben? Okay, the last cheese standing was a tournament run by the Ohio I, I still can't say yeah. that the Ohio Hammer podcast the those guys Andrew Sherman and and whatnot they ran this they did a 40k ver- version of it a couple of weeks before we were out before the fantasy version mm-hmm. and then the fantasy version was it's basically they they said hey hard boys went away mm-hmm. let's do a replacement event for hard boys so really, all the lists that everybody was playing there was all in the hard boys mentality. It was hard boys type lists. There were some pretty nasty lists there. When you said it was three thousand points, right? Yeah, three thousand points. Grand Army full in effect. All right. Sounds so good. if you wanted to bring four hydras, you were more than welcome to. And many people and, did. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see like you know what was it? Five units of Mornfang, or is it six units of Mornfang? Any of those? I only say there was, I think there was only one or two ogre players. So, no, we didn't see that. Really? That's kind of interesting. Um, and there was no Skaven. Wow. There was 
Chaos Dwarves there with two good eyes. And they were, if I remember right, they were playing on the top table on day, day two <laughs> against uh, one of the two players that had four Hydra Dark Elf lists. <laughs> so, All right. I mean, there were a lot of Dark Elves there, a lot. I think there was six or seven lists that were Dark Elves. I'm already getting kind of a feeling that maybe this wasn't the best event game-wise for you. Yeah, this would normally be outside of my normal type events. I don't like mm-hmm. going, I don't like really playing this style of Warhammer. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go, I wanted to hang, I wanted to go out to and help support one of Andy's events. Mm-hmm. And they don't run, they haven't been running a lot of, you know, big two day events. So it was kind of worth the trip to, to make the seven and a half r- roughly hour drive out there and, you know, hotel and whatever. So I drive out there Friday night, had great food and whatever. It's in Toledo, so it's honestly it was better than where I stayed the week in, in the area of in the area of Toledo where I was staying in was much better than the area of Indianapolis I stayed in the week before. <laughs> but that being said, the store was great. They're a show sponsor on Ohio Hammer, so I'll let those boys go ahead and promote the store and 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 whatnot. It was the game room in Toledo. It's it was a nice facility. The guy's got a lot of great bits box, tons of everything on the shelf. I believe he does um, online sales too. So, all right. Um, if you look up and look the internet, you probably find them. Sounds good. I, I know they had a website. I get there Saturday. We have my first round game. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he had it was the guy that won the event. <laughs> he, he had he was one of. The two players that had four Hydra lists, That's and the, and the event was broken into really two tournaments, mm-hmm. but it's still all one tournament. So the first tournament was kind of to see if you could qualify to get into the big boy tournament for day two. Yeah, even if you didn't get to the big boy day tournament, big boy tournament on day two, then there was a not in the tournament tournament for everybody else that wanted to stick around and still play. Consolation award, consolation tournament. Yeah, participation ribbons. So I remember those. Somehow I, I got the feeling I'm like I'm playing my I'm playing the list I'm getting ready for I'm, I don't have an opportunity to play a lot of 3K games here in in Madison mm-hmm. not other than Paul I really don't know anybody else that's actually got 3K that plays on a regular basis to even practice against correct I use this list I we're getting ready for Screw City GT it's mm-hmm. coming up in September and, and we had Alex on a little while ago to talk about Screw City but it's 3,000 points, no Grand Army rules, Rockford, Illinois, two-day tournament, five games. Yeah, okay. So yeah. you can use special characters, and for me, it's really cool because you can use uh, units out of the Tomercon book in the correct army. So that yep. means that Stompy the Chaos War Mammoth is going to be making a presence known. Yep, and I don't believe he's even at this point full up. So nope. if you want to go ahead and still get signed up, I know it's past the due dates for getting your list in and getting, Extra points. And getting yeah. paid for, but... For the extra bonus points, but there's still plenty of room, I believe, to get get signed up for this yep. event. And I tell it's you, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be mm-hmm. recording Wisco Dice Saturday night at the event. So if you want to come out, hang hang out with the Wisco Dice guys, you know, like you have that opportunity at this event. So that's that's needless to say, this is the, that was why I was my focus was I'm going to get some practice games against lists that are going to be chances are much nastier than what I'm going to have to face against at Screw City. Mm-hmm. And so here I am, four Hydras right off the bat. Well, I got two <laughs> Hydras. He's got four. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and somewhere between my horrific dice rolling, and, I, and, and for the most part, 
My dice were horrible all weekend. Yeah, but they were Wisco dice rolling they, in they Ohio. They were. Right? Something about about that Ohio <laughs> yeah. hair made the Wisco dice just get angry. Just flop over and die. Man. <laughs> they, they, I, I mean, I couldn't. I could not, for the life of me, just about pass a leadership eight or leadership nine test. <laughs> it just, it was fail, 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 fail. That was bad. Yeah. But I still, my first game, took on the four Hydras. I still came around. I was going to lose the game, but it, about halfway through this game, it did look like I I was going to lose it, but not get 20 odded. I was going to be like, it was going to be like a 12 or a 13, maybe a 14, Maybe even a 15-5 I was going to lose by. And then what happened? I failed a bunch of critical leadership checks. A bunch of like, like okay, here's my Dreadlord. He's in combat. Mm-hmm. I lost combat by a musician, so I lose combat by one. I didn't have the, I don't have the Stubborn Crown on my Dreadlord. Yeah. Because my intention is not to fight units. It's, yeah. to take, it's for me to lock up things like Kadais and Hydras and whatever. That's his primary role in life. You know, and in those cases, I'm only losing combat by the wounds I take. So, so most of the time, it's. Nine. But nope, I lose by one. So it's. <laughs> there's my break chest. Leader nine. I'm outside of the BS, BSB range. There's a 12 or 11 or 12 <laughs> on the table. Whoop, run off the board. I chose to think I. I know I failed the leadership check with my spear elf block. I just don't remember how I failed or why I failed it. But. Then they never rallied and ran off the board. And it was just a series of bad leadership checks. And when you're got, I mean, I kind of bank on, my list is kind of, yeah, I'm going to have to take leadership checks. And I'm mm-hmm. going to live with the fact that sometimes I'm going to have stuff running in that list. Because my leadership base is on a Pegasus and he goes way away from my yeah. army. And most of my units still... Yeah, my leadership 10 runs away from the army. Most of my units are leadership 9 anyways. It really just sounds to me like, you know, you went to Ohio and the miniatures were just like, you know what, we don't really think that fighting for possession of Ohio is really worth anything. They were like, eh, I'm not dead, but I'm just going to... I'm just going to go do something else. This isn't nearly as important well, as I thought I mean, it was. They, they saw four Hydras, and they instantly got intimidated and went, <laughs> we, want, we don't want any part of this. All right, so how did that game end up for you? I ended up getting 20 out of it. Oh, which was not the last of the twenty oddings I took <laughs> over the course of this weekend. All right. So then I so then I got bumped down to like the loser bracket for my round two game, and I ended up having to take Jake, take on Jake from Ohio Hammer. He was the ringer for the first day because we had an odd number of players. All right. Jake was playing demons, and yeah. this then ended up with the Conesy tabling Jake. Oh, what's, what um, did he have in his list? Was he had a bloodthirster? Or? He had. This was. He ended up having a list originally that had like a bloodthirster, I think, in it mm-hmm. and, and such, which he was more comfortable with it. And then Andrew happened and <laughs> talked him out of some things and made him take some list changes that he wasn't real comfortable with. Yeah. And so he had like a couple of single, the big Nurgle mm-hmm. monster cavalry thing, and I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, a Nurgle block, Papa Nurgle, mm-hmm. a big bloodletter block and can't think what else he had but it was really just push it forward and see what happens and it and, didn't happen very well i mean my dreadlord like... got locked up with papa and he couldn't hurt my dreadlord and my dreadlord smashed papa this was what he this is what my dreadlord was designed to do take on something like papa get locked up with him not take damage and pop it in the face pop the papa so i you know my dreadlord pop papa i rammed hydra and stuff into the nurgle unit smashed them to death 
I took the blood letters, I just shot them till they were nearly gone and then killed them in combat. All right. And I just tabled them. It was just a, it was a bad it was fun. I mean, it was a fun game, but you know, the whole time it was Jake's like, "Oh, this is frustrating because I you know, if I would have taken this and this and this, which is what I wanted to take, yeah. I think I'd be doing better." And yeah. I, I hate to say it, but I agree with him. So, well, I have I mean, to we say t- though, with Andrew's new silky smooth voice, I would pretty much listen to what he says a little bit more intentionally. I think. At this but this point. does go back to kind of what we talked about a couple episodes ago. Yep. You, when you're playing a, the same list over and over and over, you get a certain level of comfort. When mm-hmm. you start playing too far outside that, yeah. And while he, well, especially when you're, you know, maybe not the best player. And I'm not saying Jake isn't a good player. I'm just saying that you know when you if you get too far outside your comfort area where you where you don't want to be mm-hmm. that can tend to lead you to making mistakes you wouldn't normally make. So, but the ringer shouldn't be twenty out in people either. So no, but it, it's it's there's and a if, lot of and difference. And if you're good and, enough with your list of playing at the blood thruster, et cetera, I'm, I might. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jake went the weekend like or went Saturday not getting much for anything for battle points. Oh, so. That's so fun. Well, then he did the ringer job and very, honestly, very well. And honestly, at last she's <laughs> standing, it's the ringer, so he shouldn't necessarily be rolling over. You yeah. should be smashing some people. All that's right. my idea. It's last she's standing. Smash them. <laughs> so then I took on my, thir- my third game for day one mm-hmm. was against the other four Hydra Dark Elves. <laughs> I don't know how I drew them. I was the only guy that drew, <laughs> that drew both of them on day one. I'm playing Dark Elves. I drove seven and a half hours to get here. Thank you, Andy, for making me play both four Hydra lists. So you had ten Hydras that you got to look at. I mean, that's cool. That, right? was, <laughs> that was... But So I, I, I ended up getting... This game was closer. Mm-hmm. It was closer i ended up getting 20 odded at the end yeah i ended up getting tabled i might not have been completely tabled i might still had a model left on the table this after this one. First time i didn't have a model left on the table <laughs> after like five turns or so it's an improvement it you learned from the first game well i didn't ha- it was more of i didn't fail as many major leadership checks yeah but i i did get i mean it was still a near tabling and i did lose 20 odd at the end of the day it was it was a big loss, and I lost so hard in those two games that I was taken out of the out of the running for the big boy tournament. So I that imagine, was kind of yeah. that was a little bit of a disappointment. But at the same time, I got some great comments about my list, and maybe some things I should have tweaked, should mm-hmm. tweak, or whatever for Screw City, um, which is which was good to hear, especially since a couple of the Dark Elf guys are from Indianapolis, well, they were Indianapolis based, they were somewhere in Indiana based. They're evidently known for being kind of hardcore players so you know that was kind of nice to to get a little bit of that feedback and while i i won't say what i may or may not have changed (laughs) for screw city it was worthwhile to know those kind of things to have additional feedback on top of that day one we gave out a bunch of awards for the tournament Mm -hmm. tournament winners and whatnot for the day one tournament one of those was appearance Mm mm-hmm Gotta say, I gotta bring back, if there's anything Wisconsin boys gotta do is when they go to tournaments outside <laughs> of the state, it is bring back best appearance. So yeah. guess who won best appearance? I, I think it might have been you. It's the Conesy with the most. All right. And I was kind of surprised when they called me. So there was, I mean, there were quite a few other armies that were, I mean, fully painted that were on a pretty decent level. So 
are uh, you know I shouldn't say on a pretty decent level. I thought they were pretty close, if not on the same level as mine. So I thought there was some competition there to get the best appearance. That was great. That was that really made my day. That I that you know after having <laughs> faced eight hydras in one day, getting that was really a day maker. That really I was real happy with that. Very, we went very out, cool. had had dinner, you know, did, had a couple beers at uh, Famous Dave's. It was great. Then we went ahead and moved into day two. Mm-hmm. Day two, of course, I'm in the not in the tournament tournament, and there's like six of us in it. So, <laughs> like, hey, maybe I can win a game. Maybe I can win a game today that wasn't against the ringer. So my round for round one, I take on Warriors of Chaos. Yep, and I'm gonna pick up right where I left off on day two, <laughs> on day one. Warriors of Chaos, two Hell Cannons, very standard. It wasn't. That's there not was bad. not much. Well, a Hell Cannon is. You get what, 750 points or something like that of rare, and a hell cannon is 305 or something. Oh, I'd... isn't it or 205? I thought it was 235, two, but... three, something like that. Anyways, yeah. I don't know. It's it's K. I I should know. I play Warriors of Chaos. <laughs> it's been a long time, but uh, <laughs> but, it, but there was only two hell cannons, and turn it was at like turn one uh-huh. hell cannon on top of my spear horde, which. <laughs> I th- was in BSB range even <laughs> fails panic check fails panic check on the reroll runs Gone. off the board L four L four assassins forty seven spear elves gone yeah they just decided Ohio wasn't worth fighting over I still had a shot though I had shot the Dickens out of his corn warrior block and I was doing a great job he had a giant unit of chosen uh-huh. I did a great job of pulling the frenzied chosen off the board and they were kind of they were really out of the game and then and what then happened? I, and I had I was beating on his marauders and I had them almost chewed up to nothing I don't remember I ended up losing combat by one mm-hmm. for a round and guess what I broke with the dreadlord on the pegasus and a hydra <laughs> actually I think the height hy- no, I think the Hydra was still even alive. Well, he might have killed it that turn, and then I just had the Dreadlord. I think that might have happened. I, he, I just had the I just had the Dreadlord. He killed the Hydra that turn. I finally took the last one. It was like frenzied Marauders with great weapons. with great weapons, yeah. which I had beaten the frenzy out of them on the initial Hydra charge. But mm-hmm. so, so here I am. Ran away again. So here I am. I run away. Mm-hmm. Don't know. I run like three or four inches. I get <laughs> ran down by the Marauders. And if I would have stuck, my next turn I was charging a second Hydra, my other Hydra into that unit. I would have popped those Marauders. Mm-hmm. I would have popped the, the Warriors of Corn, yep. And I would have popped his big wizard. Uh. So, I mean, there was a lot of big things on, on sta- at stake here that would have made been like game-changing victory points. But plus, I would have kept my general defense. plus his points. Plus, yep. you know, there, there, I mean, it was just that close. And I whiffed some rolls that were plus you gotta I mean you gotta think I lost the I lost nearly a thousand points of my spear elves on a panic check that was a leader nine panic check. So <laughs> re rollable. Re rollable leader nine panic check. Oh, just, right. I mean at some point you just can't win for nothing. So what was the end of that one? So I ended up losing this game. I believe that was a twenty yacht too. That was the end of my <laughs> twenty yachts though. Oh, okay. So now I go into round, I go into, I'm like in the loser, I'm in the loser bracket of the loser bracket going going into my round two. <laughs> I play against an Orcs and Goblins player who's basically had a weekend like mine. Now he is Orcs and Goblins list. He had a pretty standard Savage Orcs unit. Mm-hmm. 
Masked big giant Savage Orc Horde, Trunken Head, L4. Yep. That was the end of the standard. Yeah. He had a unit of Night Goblins. He had two units of Night Goblins with that were 30 strong with uh, with a couple of Fanatics each. Mm-hmm. And then maximum number of bolt throwers, maximum number of doom divers, <laughs> and maximum number of rock lavas. No, maybe it wasn't maximum number. I think he only so had 12, two rock lavas. So twelve, four, and four. Twelve, four, and two. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and he's like, I, he's like, I played against those other Hydra guys, and and I took off. I, I know I can take two Hydras off the board. Uh-huh. Turn one. He wasn't lying. Both my Hydras were just gone, turn one. But after that, it wasn't like the other Dark Elf players. Uh-huh. I didn't I didn't have like juicy no targets things, yeah. for a lot of his other stuff. And then between a series of that and him misfiring and me causing panic checks on War Machines, it was it turned into a real big epic frustration. And then he's like pushing forward his his big orc unit, and it's still pretty big. Uh-huh. And I'm like, mm, yeah. He could charge my Spear Elves. Uh-huh. It would be his turn. I wouldn't have Mind Razor up. Mm-hmm. I do get to pop the Assassin. Good chance I pop the Shrunken Head. Yep. But I'm also probably losing the combat and or losing badly and or probably, probably not going to have Steadfast at this point. Yep. Yeah, flee that charge. So I fled that charge and then just went into round after round after round to shooting him. It was. It, it started out. It was one of those games like this is going to be like amazing, and it was definitely a Paul like list. You know, just focused on let's mid max one aspect, <laughs> feel like it's really themey, uh-huh. and just hope something good happens. <laughs> and and it was. It started out. It was really like I'm like oh my god I'm really sweating this and this uh-huh. is but this was like if I can just do this and this this is going to be crazy fun. And then it went to after I turned the hurdle and it was obvious how things were going to go. Like mm-hmm. my black guard, my black guard ate two fanatics. <laughs> they they ran over two fanatics, took a pump wagon in the flank, and was still at like eleven models plus my BSB. Yeah. And then I and then they just happily went from war machine to war machine to war machine to war machine to war machine, <laughs> killing one war machine a turn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was obvious what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And because both of us had so much shooting, so much magic, yeah. the game turns ended up being really long. And it wasn't for fault of him or me, but we didn't get, you know, evidently he had a real hard time finishing games all event long. Yeah. And I mean, that's just a fact of the matter of the type of list both of us were playing. Yeah. I find that with Dark Elves, too, in tournament games, it's hard to roll mm-hmm. that many dice constantly. You're all, hey, I'm rolling 70 shots a turn. Mm-hmm. And while, well, yeah, about 10 of them wound, that's a lot of dice you roll and try to get all those dice rolled, pick your target, see what happens, have mm-hmm. your opponent's pink panic tricks. It just takes a lot of time. So, then, so I did win this game. Right. I don't remember what I won by, but it wasn't Massacre. It was like a 15-5, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Probably would have been a bigger win if we would have finished the game. Yeah. It was certainly that at some point he was asking, you know, is the round going to end? Well, should we start <laughs> another turn? Because he was really wanting the round, wanting it to end so that he didn't lose more victory points. Yeah. And I did pick up like another, because, he, because the round didn't end, I was able to pick up another three or 400 victory points. All right. My final game then I was play I played against this guy was from Canada. Mm-hmm. At this point, 
I do got to point out there was no AC in the building. So we're both bigger guys. Mm-hmm. We've both been sweating like pigs. We're tired. We both know we got long drives ahead of us. Mm-hmm. We both know we're out of the running. He hasn't won a game all weekend. Actually, oh, no, oh, he wasn't oh, playing Warriors. He was playing Demons. Okay. Now I got it. With a this big, he had a bloodthirster, two hordes of of blood uh, bloodletters, and a big unit of uh, plague bears okay. with. Uh, Harold, and then oh, he had some flamers too, like six mm-hmm. flamers. Yeah, and then uh, there's somewhere in there there was a level two wizard, I think, or a level four wizard that knew all the spells of some lore. Yeah, but he didn't. He he skipped his magic phase a bunch, which I didn't understand. Like he just like I don't want to cast spells, and I happily like one my 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 shooters was a diagonal deployment, mm-hmm. and I shooters just. Did nothing. Oh, it was a diagonal deployment, and I won the initiative. <laughs> so I was able to like charge the plague bearers with like almost everything I would want to charge the plague bearers with. Mm-hmm. Pop the herald, kill the plague bearers basically in two rounds of combat. The whole like thirty plague bearers just gone. Oof. And then I did nothing but just shoot, shoot, shoot bloodletters, and basically I deleted a horde of bloodletters from shooting. And the other unit of bloodletters with the corn herald mm-hmm. got into me they actually managed to charge me like turn three mm-hmm. into my blackguard which i actually this game i took my bsb out of the blackguard he was it was just blackguard but there was 10 bloodletters plus the corn herald at this point yeah the corn herald challenges takes on my takes on my champ kills the dickens out of my champ Mm-hmm. And then the Blackguard get the swing before the Bloodletters, so they kill the Dickens out of the Bloodletters. There's like two or three Bloodletter attacks left. He loses, rolls like ridiculous high high on on his on his break check. At this point, I've I've pretty his uh, I don't know what happened to his BSB, but his BSB wasn't anywhere around. Maybe his BSB was in the blo- the First one Anyways, yeah, I know he yeah. didn't have a BSB. He didn't. He wasn't able to take it. He rolls high on the on the instability check. Mm-hmm. The unit pops. And that's other than the bloodletter, the bloodletter and my bloodthirster. You mean they're the bloodthirster and the and my dreadlord, which mm-hmm. my dreadlord didn't do the charging. He charged my dreadlord, <laughs> which is perfect for me. Okay, I can't kill you. You can't kill me. This mm-hmm. is now three turns of us rolling dice that mean nothing almost. Yeah, and at that point he's like, I shake the hand of it. Let's just call it. You've taken everything off else off the table. I'm like, I'm never going to take that bloodthirster off the table. Yep. So let's just call it. I know <laughs> I'm not going to take it off, and I don't think you're going to take off my dude on Pegasus. So mm-hmm. we called it. I got the 20, 20 out there with all the objective points. Nice. And uh, ended up, I ended up coming in third. And the kicker is the guy that got me for second in the knit, in uh-huh. the not in the tournament tournament. Yeah. Was the guy I lost to round one, mm-hmm. and if I would have passed a couple of those, one of those panic checks that I failed, yep. or one of those leader nine checks that I failed, mm-hmm. I probably would have been second and would have got a prize. Oh, you already got a prize though. I did get a prize. I was, so? I was. This was like this was the first best appearance I've ever won, where it was just best appearance. Like I won. At Cheddar Bowl, I had won best appearance for the guys that never won won a best appearance. appearance. But this was the first time I ever won a full-on best appearance. Mm -hmm. So I, I will say, Andrew, next year, I mean, it would been really, it would be really nice to have had. I'll I'll always have this memory, 
but it would have been really nice to have a, a trophy or a plaque to add to my <laughs> shelf that said, hey, I finally done it. I mean, for a lot of guys that go to a lot of tournaments and they win a lot, mm-hmm. the trophies and plaques don't mean as much to them. But for a guy like me, this is the first time I ever did it. I really wish I would have had. I really wish I would have something to 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 be able to remember that. So you can order your own. Put I, I guess I could. Ever. I guess I could. Yeah. They, they did have a, a, a get a badger on top. They of the did trophy have this itself. bad <laughs> foam cheese. Actually, it was actually a really good foam cheese uh, on a trophy stand mm-hmm. that they gave away for the overall winner of the of the event. Nice. It would have been better if they he could have just had me bring quality cheese heads and, <laughs> and assorted varieties, and it would have been perfect. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't, you know, coming from Wisconsin. I, I no thought about it. And... I thought about it, and I, I didn't have a – the only Badger shirts I have are long-sleeved, so I didn't bring uh. a Badger shirt either, otherwise I was going to do that too. Because <laughs> we know always a Badger is better than a Buckeye. Yeah, because a Badger can think. <laughs> I think that pretty much covers the last year standing. I All right. took a little more time covering it than I, I would have expected or wanted to. But, hey, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our awesome models you might have missed. All right. So this week we're going to talk about the new Avatars of War Dwarves. Somebody out there might be thinking, hey, I've already seen those Avatars of War Dwarves. Those Slayers are pretty, pretty sweet. And they are. Those are some pretty nice plastic ones. But those actually aren't the ones I'm talking about. They're coming out with a second round now of dwarf miniatures. Avatars of War obviously has a love affair going on with dwarves. They have a lot of heroes that are dwarven in nature. And um, they have created a dwarf warrior regiment. So as opposed to the Slayers, which have a very unique look and work well uh, in any kind of an army you want or in Warthrone, these dwarf warriors do look just like a standard dwarf warrior, which is really nice. They're easily a unit that can be made into an entire army and really would look really nice in a setup of how that works yeah i mean they're very top on Mm -hmm. we're actually looking at the models right now Mm -hmm. what they've released in their preview pictures and they are really cool models they they're very classic dwarves I, i get a little bit of that feel somewhere between the current GW dwarf and the older GW mm-hmm. plastic kit. They have a as lot far as of the character. feel of the model. The the, mm-hmm. the detail is is I think uh, uh, quite a bit better. For uh, I think these are aren't these a plastic resin? Correct. Warcast is what they call versus it. Versus a full plastic, which honestly mm-hmm. captures a little better detail. Mm-hmm. It'll mean they come in at a, a bit higher price point, but. Yeah, awesome models, really cool. I, if you're if you're a fan of dwarf models, mm-hmm. I think these are models you you put on your list to collect. I mean, I yeah. certainly have them. I'm a fan of dwarf models. I'm, I'm throughout my list to collect. Yeah, and uh, if if you want to check out a picture of them, the, there should be a picture in Wars here under the Avatars of War, and also on Facebook under Avatars of War, they'll have a picture of them as well. So yep. that's not something that's actually just sitting around <laughs> like most of the preview pictures are. So no, it's. I, what I really like about these dwarf warriors is they really seem to me to embody what a dwarf warrior should be. I like the dwarf warriors that GW makes. However, I have a really hard time believing that you have these guys that are living to be three, 400 years old, and they just have these beards that they really don't care about, and they don't look individual at all. And the beards on these dwarf warriors actually do look very individual. The models themselves look very nice and stocky. They have more of a Norse theme. Than the current GW dwarves do, though 
the old GW Dwarves, 5th edition and back, definitely had that kind of a Norse well, theme going not on. not 5th edition and back. 5th edition Dwarves were... The popular were the, and the Rangers. and Yeah, they were more um, Imperial Empire Dwarves. Ah, okay. Because you had the big baggy clothes and stuff like that. Okay. It was probably your 5th and 4th Ed Dwarves. But mm-hmm. the 6th Ed Dwarves, when they came out with the first plastic kit... Which mm-hmm. have been six-ed dwarfs for us here in the U.S. They yeah. actually the plastics were available in England, the tail end of fifth. But yeah, they were they were these dwarfs are are very much on on par with that. Although but they're not much, the hunchback dwarfs mm-hmm. of the old or the pot belly. Yeah, yeah, the the pot belly ones that were previous, and those were more imperial dwarf too. These look like very fit, very warlike dwarfs. They they look to be very stocky, very well-built. A lot of detail is being held in this mini- medium. It's pretty obvious. The only criticism I would have is just my criticism of Warcast in general. I've seen their weapons, and their weapons seem to be really, really thick. You have basically what to me looks like, if I'm going to make a comparison to GW here, you have an 8th edition GW model, but the weapons themselves seem almost to look like 5th edition. They're a little bit thicker than they lo- should look to me. Uh, the axes in particular bother me a little bit. They look almost like the, a fifth. It's actually the scale they're shooting for, though. Yeah, they're uh, they're looking mm-hmm. for twenty eight millimeter heroic. So, and, and in twenty eight millimeter heroic, you have oversized weapons. That's and part that's, of the idea, and that's, that's what, what I don't GW like. used to do, and it's mm-hmm. what they still do. So uh, that to me is the only thing that I wouldn't like about these miniatures. Uh, they're equipped with hand weapon shield, and they have full command. So the the other thing that I, that I just pick out that I that my my one complaint is that these models are amazing. They're really cool looking. I really like them a lot. I think they fit in a lot of my older dwarf stuff perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things when you want to keep them maintain that aesthetic across your collection. These for me because all my dwarfs I bought most of them during that sixth era of dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Of course, these that's... fit in perfectly with what I have. My problem with them is that they are hand weapon and shield models, which are it's just not a good option for the dwarf army. If you listen to our dwarf review, mm-hmm. we you know for core warriors, that's it's just not a good option to take hand weapon shields. You can't kill anything with strength three, mm-hmm. and you just gonna you end up t- taking wounds and dying. Mm-hmm. So I, I really love the models. I, I, I want to, we want to make sure people are aware of them, but for Warhammer Fantasy, for in your lists, that kind of they're not going to do. They would work for good hand weapon shield long beards if you want to include those in your mm-hmm. list. Yeah, you I, they'd be perfect for long beards. And actually, I just wanted to make one comment as to why you said they fit in so well. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that Pelix Panguina, who did, was a GW sculptor for a while and went over to start Avatars of War, did a decent amount of that dwarf range. So. I'm not aware of whether or not he's actually sculpted these ones in particular because I don't see an actual name of who the sculptor is. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did or if it wasn't him, he informed a lot of the design decisions on these miniatures themselves. So there you go. All right, so let's go ahead and cut a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do Gen Con coverage and go from there. Sounds good. Yes, yes, my precious... My precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. My Warhammer, my 40K, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic cards. You can find them all at Misty Mountain Gaming. Really? Yeah, Misty Mountain Gaming, located on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They have pretty much everything you can imagine for gaming in Madison. 
Okay, so if I just run down to Misty, I can pick up all sorts of good stuff? Oh yeah, board games, everything. And I hear they have the largest gaming space in Madison, too. So if I need to run an event there, I could get all the space I need, huh? Oh yeah, Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. Alright, well I think I'll jet out to Misty right about now. Sounds good. Hey, yo, we is back. Oh, we're back. All right, so... From outer space. Let's go ahead and move into our gaming spotlight, which this week is Gen Con. Gen Con! Hey, yo, I was there this year, and I know you've been there previously. Mm Mm-hmm. So we've got a bunch of experiences about Gen Con, and obviously I want to kind of talk to about Gen Con and, and... what it is mm-hmm. more than and and why you should go if you're a war gamer yep. because quite honestly uh Gen Con is the biggest worldwide or the biggest gaming convention of its type which it it, it, it encompasses all forms of gaming mm-hmm. and geekdom from anime role playing games card games board games miniature, miniature games, games absolutely everything you know the whole the whole lots of artists Doing costumes from everything from proper traditional medieval garb to video game characters, video game steampunk costumes, ridiculous amounts of costumes. I was, I remember going back in like '04 (laughs) was about roughly the last time I was at Gen Con. The costumes, it was just Saturday. The costumes would turn out, yeah, and that was, and it wasn't too huge. This year, the people were in costume the whole time, and it was ridiculous numbers of people. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that they had the line. One of the things to do is on Saturdays, it's Saturdays are costume contest, and they have this giant line of people, and it was ridiculous. There were hundreds of people in this line, yep. all in costumes, like really good costumes for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from Gandalf, Batman, Captain America. Anime characters, Stormtroopers, Vader, Mm -hmm. Mord Sith. I'm a huge fan of the Terry Goodkind Sword of Truth series. And there were a couple of girls in the front that were in the red leather costumes like they had (laughs) for the TV series. Which, if there was anything, at least you know the TV series, you can. It it was, it wasn't good, and it really deviated (laughs) from the books. The TV series was enjoyable on its Mm -hmm. own right, but it was it's it was a TV series that. Happened to have the characters from the books, yep. but didn't really play up what happened in the books very well, which is a huge disappointment for fans. But the the a lot of the imagery of the costumes they had in the series were really pretty good and matched what I had in my mind's eye, particularly the Mord Sith. And to be able to see a couple of girls that were in full Mord Sith costumes, yeah, that was really cool. That really was one of my costume highlights of the weekend that I got to see. Or the like twelve year old kid that was in the Iron Man's costume, and it was like a spot on custom made <laughs> Iron Man's costume. And yeah. then there was a kid; they had a couple of parents, and they had the kid dressed up as Batman. Mm-hmm. And they did; uh, they had him in a cart. They were pushing him around in a cart, uh-huh. and it was the like it was a Batmobile. He was in the, the Batmobile <laughs> that from like uh, the old uh, Michael Keaton Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those were those were kind of neat. As far as what can you do with Gen Con? We were talking earlier before the show. The exhibition hall is just oh my ridiculous! <laughs> yeah, th- th- that thing is crazy. I mean, I'd been there in '04 when it was still in the old RCA Dome Convention Center, mm-hmm. which was quite a bit smaller than the current facility. 
And I can see why Gen Con pushed to have bigger and bigger facilities. Yes. Because this is just flat down ridiculously huge. I mean, it's like a it's like a super Walmart or something in there of just aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles of games of uh, vendors on both sides of the aisles. It's probably about between a half mile and a mile from one end to the other of the building, and the vendor hall is at least. 400 to 800 meters long. Well, I mean, the old... And about 100 to 200 meters wide. It's just amazing. It just... it. I mean, imagine a stadium and well, the entire field is just filled with vendors. Yeah, it's exactly what... I mean, this is... If I understand right, this is basically built on the grounds of what the old RCA dome was or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I don't honestly I, know, but it's just... I, if I understood right, they built the new stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium, across the street from... From the RCA Dome, and then mm-hmm. they tore down the RCA Dome and put this, if I understand right. And I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong out there, fans, but I might I might very well be. But it's, it's massive, mm-hmm. and I really was floored. One of the things that I was kind of frustrating about Gen Con's in the years past was the the big draw. One of the biggest draws is the exhibition hall. You yep. get all these vendors. All these, a lot of times you get to see a lot of things vendors new game companies and whatever well, new that, games that you've never seen before that come to gen con and they're kind of a make it and break it and not, i mean i know we're in the year the days of of kickstarter and stuff which really helps a lot of companies get off the ground now mm-hmm. but gen con is still like the place where you have a captured audience and the exhibition hall is the best place to see all that new stuff but you you'd see stuff but there wouldn't be like as little space maybe in a mm-hmm. company's booth and there would, and the traffic would be so thick going yeah. in there that was uncomfortable, and you'd be getting bumped and whatever by other people that are moving through there. Well, that I mean, there was still a lot of people in that exhibition hall, mm-hmm. and especially Saturday, it was really packed. But in comparison to previous years, there was still room, you know, yep. to move around. And but all of the big companies like Fantasy Flight, Privateer Press, mm-hmm. Mayfair Games, Reaper Miniatures. Um, Reaper didn't have a big. Oh, that's right. Area they actually didn't the go to. Hall. They didn't actually go to Gen Con specifically this year because they ran the Kickstarter. Um, but there were there were all these companies that had huge. I mean, they had huge demo areas for mm-hmm. all of their games. The big companies, so you could just go and there was people at these tables. Like you just go walk up to the table and try out the game, like the new Star Wars X Wing game yep. from Fantasy Flight. Which honestly, the game is really cool. That's a, one of the you know one of the fantasy might flight for the most part gets the games and the game rules right. Mm-hmm. Star Wars getting to play with cool little Star Wars miniatures are all pre painted, whatever mm-hmm. is kind of nice. But when you look at the price point, it's a forty dollar price point to get the starter kit, mm-hmm. which is two Tie Fighters and an X Wing. Yeah, it's not a lot of miniatures. I mean, yeah, you get some templates and stuff. It's but it's if you forty dollars. I mean, yeah. you look at that and you're like, uh, for three this better be yeah. a good game for forty dollars. And well, you had the demo tables, and this is like the first time you could get it. So, got got demos of that. We got. I mean, there's really also, it's one of those situations where because this is in America at the very least, if not in the world for gaming purposes, this really is the place where. You go and you bring absolutely everything that you can because somebody might want it. You know, like you, I like Mayfair games. They do British Rails, India Rails, all these other games off the Empire Builder system. So they obviously had all of their board games there. But then they also brought their collection of 
poster size board games, which they don't sell on the website, which you just, they're like, well, people have asked for these in the past and they would have customized little pieces for British rails and like all this other stuff that you don't necessarily see or even ever get to hear about, but they'll bring that to this convention because they know that the people that are there love these games so much that they want to buy these peripherals. They want to buy all this extra stuff. And there were so many games, peripherals, everything that I was made aware of just walking through the vendor space that you just can't get from going pretty much anywhere. I mean, if you go on BoardGameGeek.com, it's a great resource for being able to play board games, but being able to know what peripherals are available, that might not be something that's covered on their website. It really allows you to experience, see everything that's available in one shot. It's like walking through the forum for BoardGameGeek.com walking through this vendor hall. It's every game you can imagine from every different seller, including the artists who made the art for the books, including the artists who made the cover for the actual games themselves, including the game people who've never actually sold anything. And there's a specific section for these people who are trying to make money to be able to get their game off the ground. It's just literally absolutely everything that you can imagine is all there and you just walk through. And instead of looking through pictures, you look through the actual items themselves. Yep, and for miniatures, I mean, we had Cool Mini or Not with a huge booth there. You had, obviously, Privateer Press is like, that's their con that they go all out for. Yep. Games Workshop was actually there, and it wasn't it wasn't like a bunch of U.S. flunkies that had ran the Games Workshop events before. Because mm-hmm. the U.S. Games Workshop's really, I mean, everybody knows, it's really backed off from what it was probably 10 years ago. Even three years all ago. The, so all the all stores are down to, like, one person. There's no Outriders. There's no... Mm-hmm. There's no real like they like the U.S. couldn't come up with staff, so these were like you talk you start talking to people. These are people from the U. It was very clear. I mean, their accents were U.K. They flew them over from the U.K. Mm-hmm. They flew them back. A lot of the stuff probably they had already shipped here or was already here, but that they were trying to sell. But Forge World guys, the Black Lever guys, they were all people that really knew the product really well. Of course, the Games Workshop guys. I mean, obviously it's a Games Workshop booth, so Games Workshop products available there. But you could go two booths away and get it at like 20%. a ten or twenty percent discount. <laughs> so I, I don't, you know, it wasn't important for them to stock that, but for them to have a, their booth was small. And I think I think they saw that because I think this was kind of a afterthought. I mean, it didn't come out till the white the white dwarf like right, one month you know, before. One month before yeah. Because I don't think they planned on it either. And then they showed up, and it was I think very clear to them that they needed to be there and bigger because. It is the largest gaming convention in the world, and to have the largest miniature gaming company in the world not there, to me, regardless of what else you're doing in the company, you should at least have a presence at this con. So, anyways, if you're an executive at Games Workshop and you're listening to this, you got to make sure <laughs> yeah. that you're... Yeah. This is one of those things you've got to make sure you're there, and you got to make sure you're a strong presence. And I know it's not going to look good on the books. The accountant's not going to like the numbers, but it's... You know, in the 80s... Game stores figured out that they had to offer game space for players to play the games at in their mm-hmm. stores. And if you didn't have it, a lot of those stores didn't survive because people pay where they play. Mm-hmm. And even now, it's even more not, more important now with the advent of the internet. Mm-hmm. People hang out of the store for a few hours, you run events at the store, they're going to pay money where they play. This is where there are so many people that look at Games Workshop product. 
and they see it at a bunch of independent retailer booths mm-hmm. and they see the discounts but when you're just looking at price point and they go oh well I can get started in this game for a hundred dollars mm-hmm. or I can get started in that game for fifty dollars and I can demo it here and see if I like it before I even spend a dollar mm-hmm. but that game is two hundred dollars if not three hundred dollars just for me to get started and get a halfway decent size force mm-hmm. and I don't get to demo it or anything it's real obvious why people are have shied away or moved away into other miniatures games to an extent. I know Games Workshop's still my favorite company, but hey, wake up. This is a big thing for you to get out and, and get help you get new players into things. That being said, uh, I guess that was almost a Conzi rant there too. But <laughs> it was. It was cool mini or not. He'd be in there. And, yep. and I mean, obviously, I picked up that Bane Lords figure you talked mm-hmm. about earlier, and those were to be able to see those, not just on the net, but to see those figs. Dwarven Forge was a big thing for me when I originally started going to Gen Con. To be able to see those in person, it's just like, wow. I, I had no idea this existed. And even if you look at it on the internet, it's not the same as looking at it right in front of you and going, wow, you can step on this if you really wanted to, and you probably wouldn't break it. Like, this this is a sturdy, well-painted peripheral and yeah, it's $100 a piece, but like, you, the time that it takes to make this stuff is far more than I was willing to put into it. And to be able to see that stuff really convinced me. And that's, that's one of the things about going to Gen Con is you can go and see things that you weren't sure about before or you might be interested in. And you go there, you're not going to see necessarily just one person demoing it. You're going to see other people out in the hallways playing with it. If you... If you can't get into the demo, somebody's going to be playing it somewhere in the convention space. You just walk up and say, hey, what are you playing? Do you mind if I look at it? I mean, it's literally just this big meeting of people who really just love games and are passionate about it. And it's really not at all a closed-minded thing or anything like that. It's literally, I mean, when I've watched Top Gear, they talk about going to a race. They're going to a race day. And they're able to go to a race day and to talk about cars. And nobody looks at them weird. Because they're talking about cars. Because that's what they love. You go to Gen Con, nobody's going to look at you weird. Talk about gaming of any kind. Board games, miniature games, whatever. In fact, they're going to enjoy it. That's why they're there. Oh, yeah. The massive tournament room. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, I mean, the tournament room was nearly as big as the exhibition hall. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there was a, a chunk of area off the tournament room yes. that was just open tables. You just walk up and play. And I don't remember that from pre- years back mm-hmm. where there was such a huge area for just, you just walk up and play whatever you want. Yeah. You know, you just, and I, I even to the point, I think that there was a couple of companies even in that hall mm-hmm. that had their own board games sitting there that you could just go up, walk up, and get a board game and then go play it. Yeah, you know, other game. You know, and the whole intent of you, you know, being able to come and enjoy the experience. And of course, there's all of the different um, side things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there, you know, half from, of the events don't even happen in that building itself. They have. Events that are happening in all the hotels around. I went to an event that was in a bar a mile away. Like, there literally are events throughout the city of Indianapolis for this whole thing. Yeah. And I, to give you an idea of kind of the space for people who might have been to Warhammer World, people who live in the UK, imagine Warhammer World times five. And that's just the main building. That's just the visitor space. That's just the exhibition hall. And then another floor on top of that with people playing RPGs, with people playing tournament. And then another floor in the back of that where the actual tournaments are happening with all the miniature gaming and everything. It's just – it's so massive. It's really, really hard to say 
on the radio what it feels like to actually be there. Now, I do have a bunch of pics, and I'm going to get them uploaded to the site. I had meant to get them uploaded by now, and I just haven't. And I'm sure everybody can see a bunch of the pics that uh, were taken from other from other people if you really wanted to look. But that is a big thing that's out there. i got to say, I mean, there's plenty of stuff to do for the miniature Gamer. Besides all these great companies that are there, I mean, there were speed paintings, terrain workshops. Her Starts Blocks had a couple of big... Here, you just we'll teach you how to do everything. Yep. You get to walk away with bricks or an assembled piece of scenery in these workshops. Yeah, there was a little additional fee on top of that, but you know, there's so much that you can do and add to your weekend that it's really, I think, worth going. It's one of those events that maybe you miss it every couple of years if you have to travel a far ways, but I would recommend this to every player of any game in the world you should try to hit gen con at least at least once if not <laughs> every year i mean we'll definitely be back and you'll hear about our presence and what wisco dice will be at gen con next year 2013 uh, quite a bit uh, quite a bit more as we get clo- as it gets a little bit closer and some more plans there's some rumors in the mill as far as what wisco dice will be doing next year and we don't want to get too far into it but until we have things more set in stone but I think we're, even the even our podcast will have a, a bigger role in the 2013 Gen Con. All right. Well, there you go. That's our summary of Gen Con this year. Let's go ahead and get into the main topic discussion of today, which is sportsmanship. And basically sportsmanship 101 and, and how that applies to gaming in general, not just Warhammer. I mean, War, Warhammer, I think for us as Warhammer players, particularly in the U.S., it's it's important because we still treat sportsmanship as one of those soft scores, for our those player-voted scores players, yep. in tournaments. So it's kind of important for us to to worry and concern be concerned about it. But it really it makes it's so much more, and and, and even to the point where sportsmanship is something like that's considered in all facets of you know, not only your of gaming but of life and in total attitude yourself of mm-hmm. yourself and how you know how things are presented so yeah we're going to kind of take it this might come off as a bit of a holistic approach to living your life <laughs> that's just sportsmanship because it really is something that you can't just say i'm going to be a good sportsman when i'm playing games and then not be some of that person outside of it as well it, it's really something that gamers have this reputation for being not socially adept and for not showering and for doing all these kind of things, you know, and that's just something that people have to get past. It's if you're going to be get, spending time with someone playing a board game, playing Warhammer, whatever, there's just certain things that are appropriate for that person allowing you to spend two hours with them. That's kind of what this whole thing is going to be about, how to be a good sportsman, how to be a good opponent, and to be a good player, to be develop a relationship with the people that you want to have games right. with. And, and for that matter, I mean, I got to say, I mean, this is one of those places where I know personally I have to work really hard, both when I'm playing games, but... You know, even when I'm on the show, I mean, I tend to be the guy that's a little more critical and a little more, uh, I guess, negative. I mean, to be frank about it, I'm, I'm that guy. So it's one of the things that I admire really about Paul and one of the things Paul brings really to the, you know, not only to the show, but to the, all of his, you know, games. I, and I do remember the first, the first ever tournament prize for Warhammer I ever got. Mm hmm was indeed it wasn't a best appearance obviously you just heard i just finally all these years i've never gotten a best <laughs> appearance i finally got one 
I mean, I've won overalls before, mm-hmm. and I've won a lot of other prizes at tournaments. But my first ever was a sportsmanship prize, and to this day, that is one. Of, that is probably my proudest achievement, because it and it was a weekend where I had. It was a three round tournament. There was twenty some of us there. It was one I traveled a couple hours to get to, which mm-hmm. at the time was a big deal for me. And I just had a, it wasn't. I mean, I had a blast that weekend, and to be able to walk away with that was. It really made my day. Mm-hmm. What are what are things? I mean, Paul, what are things that you do that it seems to come to you kind of naturally? Mm-hmm. But what are those things are that that kind of you do that that folks might want to know about or or make sure that they're doing? Oh, well, I think one of the big things to do is make sure you're on time. Make sure you know your rules, and obviously this applies to tournaments very very well. It's written in the rules. But it also applies to playing pickup games. It applies to playing board games at your friends' houses. I mean, you have to be somebody who is enjoyable to play against to really want that player to play against you again. And if you're playing board games, whether you want to be invited back to that person's house or you want that person to come back to your house. It's really something that you have to set up from the beginning. I mean, this person is who's playing with you is allowing you to do something that you enjoy that you can't do by yourself. And recognizing that fact when you walk up to the table, when you walk into somebody else's house, or when somebody else walks into yours, recognizing that fact, I think, is elemental to really making sure that you understand what it is that this person's doing by allowing you to play a game with them. And you can say from the opposite side of, well, you know, I still want to be able to be the one who's in control. I want it to be at my house. Uh, you know, And I'm offering that experience to that person as well. Yeah, totally true. But it takes two people to play any of these games that we really, really enjoy. And to ignore the fact that this person has made a sacrifice to come and do this with you is to ignore a lot of what the gaming experience is really what is meant to be about, which is two people having a similar interest, dedicating time to having fun. Certainly. And and one of the things that I know folks do, and I know you do it really well, is you find ways... And this is something I, I think I struggle at a little bit, but you mm-hmm. find ways to get people to open up, to open up and get that conversation going. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's very particular for a lot of Warhammer tournaments, the bigger ones. I certainly like Last Cheese Standing. I was there. I was the only. I mean, I knew the Ohio Hammer guys. Mm-hmm. I knew I knew Andy and Jake, <laughs> but otherwise, everybody else I was meeting for the first time at this event. So getting getting that open up, and getting that conversation started, and getting people talking and and stuff is is something that's really hard to do but it, it can be hard to do if you know for some folks but it's so important it goes so far to that sportsmanship thing and getting yourself reinvited to another game night you know getting yourself like hey you know getting that conversation going and getting oh hey you play games too and blah 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 and and you like this and yeah like that and getting that going that relationship started i think that goes a long way is making you a better sportsman and Making somebody from a tournament perspective, if they know you, it's hard to vote badly for somebody that know that knows yeah. you. If you if you get to know the guy during the game, it's hard for somebody to vote badly and give you bad marks on a game. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly hard if you you know if you're going if it's just gaming in somebody's garage or mm-hmm. or gaming in somebody's basement, it's kind of hard to get yourself disinvited once once you get to know the guy. Everybody has an off off day and an off week mm-hmm. or even an off game. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's really hard to get get against a guy when they when you get to know him. And I know mm-hmm. you, there's a couple of things that you've done, you've talked about with me before that you do to open things up, particularly at Warhammer games when you get tournaments and yeah. whatnot. Uh, but one of the things that I always like to do is I like to number one, I like to look at my opponent's army. I like to look at the paint that they've put on it. I like to look at the conversions that they've put into it. I like to look at the basing. I like to look at – I'm obviously looking at the army and saying, okay, what do I think this army is going to be able to do, and how do I think I'm going to be able to deal with it? But at the same time, I'm also looking at it, and in my mind, I'm actually looking at the hobby time that this person has put into preparing this army to meet here on the table. And that's something that's really kind of unique to Warhammer above other board games is that for miniature board gaming – for miniature wargaming – you spend a hell of a lot of time before you even get to the table to make sure that you're prepared to play this game. And so I try and recognize that by pointing out to my opponent, have you seen this specific model? I see that this is a conversion. That looks really cool. Or why did you decide to do that? Or, I mean, there are definitely armies that I've played against that are all converted and be like, okay, great. I can see that you've used Crute. I can see that you've used Spawn Bits. I can see that you've used all these different ranges how did you come about making the decision to make these individual models in this way? Everybody who comes to the table and plays a game against you has brought their own individualized hobby passion to that table. And I like to recognize that before the dice even hit the table because that might be the last chance that you get to do it. (laughs) I guess for me personally, I I take a a similar approach. I think a lot of people do it for tournament play. Mm -hmm. But I take a similar approach. But I I think my my questions tend to be, or my conversation starters, my my. And obviously, I, I, I admire your, I admire what Paul does far better than than what I do. But and I think he's far more successful at at being a good sport than I am. But I, one of the things I do is I I try to open up the conversation, and this is part of the event organizer in me, is I I try to talk to him about especially new people I'm meeting mm-hmm. about what's going on with their you know local meta, where are they from, mm-hmm. what kind of armies they normally play against or see. Those kind of things, and try to talk a little, just a little. Everybody likes talking whatever game it is they're playing, or whatever games they like to play. They like talking a little bit about their games, their local meta, and particularly at an event like a like a Gen Con or like a mm-hmm. a, a Warhammer tournament, a Depticon, where you're, or something where you're meeting like that. where you're meeting new gamers that you haven't met. You know, those kind of questions really go a long ways to getting that conversation, getting those icebreakers out of the way mm-hmm. and getting people to go, hey, yeah, this is just another normal guy that plays these games just like I do and really, really enjoys and is real passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, now we've got the podcast, too. That really helps break the ice, especially since I, I don't know about you, but it's, I, I've, I've gotten a couple of times where I've got run into people that have heard me on the cast and now they're like, oh, yeah, you're that guy. Yep, exactly. And that's it's definitely pretty helpful. I also like to attempt to figure out the player that I'm playing against, if it be a board game or a Warhammer game, how experienced they are with the game itself. And so I do try and get some of those other questions in there too. Usually by starting to talk about the hobby aspect of it, they'll tell me if they've been doing armies for a while or if this is their first army. If I ask them about, well, is that a specific conversion for what you see is what you get? Or why did you decide to make that conversion? To me, that tells me a little bit more about how experienced the player is. I like to establish that to begin with because if I am going to be playing against a player who's not played before, I'm not necessarily going to know that by playing, rocking up to the table and seeing his army. Sometimes you borrow an army. Sometimes that army is fully painted. Or sometimes somebody has been painting for years 
and this is the first tournament that they're coming to or the first tournament that you've seen them come to or they're just not an avid gamer. And I don't want to be able to play a game against somebody that's a really good game for me and a horrible game against them because I didn't even take the time to make sure that I know what kind of a person I'm playing against before we hit the before the, the dice hit the table. Uh, and especially for board games, that's really important because even with those, you really have to know whether or not your opponent knows the rules. Otherwise, you just end up in this situation of, well, I know the rules and you don't know them as well, so I'm going to win. But I'll teach you the game. But you're going to lose. guess I'll bring up a personal example where for the, the latest role-playing group I was with, mm-hmm. and this goes, this is a really big one for role-playing groups. Don't try to play, just because it seems cool to play the character that's, I'm going to be a druid that's mm-hmm. very anti-settlements. And this might sound cool, but mm-hmm. if the rest of the group wants to play characters that are that are necessarily orientated around maybe more mercenary type stuff mm-hmm. or are trying to help the settlements grow or the game's designed to help the settlements grow and establish this civilization in the middle of the wilderness mm-hmm. and you're playing the anti-character to that, that can really add a lot of friction and negativity and frustration for everybody that's at the game table mm-hmm. to the point that some people may not want to play. And, and in this case, I was the guy playing the frictional character and, and when I started out, I thought, oh, this character's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be great. I'll do all these things. And, and what it ended up being was just a lot of me fighting with the rest of the players, including the GM, over playing this character. So, I mean, that, and that was, that was just poor decision and sportsmanship, really, on my own part that led to a huge negative experience for everybody in that game. Mm-hmm. We ended up dropping that game after a couple of months of playing it to change games because it was that negative and we didn't want to have that negativity. Unfortunately, we were a group of, it wasn't like a new group of coming together, but mm-hmm. it was that one character, that one decision on my part ruined the GMs and the guy's work that he had put together. And a lot of, there was a lot of hard work, you know, putting together a, a game like that to drop it after a couple months, start something fresh mm-hmm. was really, I mean, it was a really, it was a real big killer for the whole thing. And so that, I guess, an example of which something you don't want to do in your games. And, and it's certainly a different, a lot of times with like a role playing game or a board game, mm-hmm. it's it's a much different atmosphere mm-hmm. than say a tournament for Warhammer where you're walking up and meeting the a guy for the first time. Mm-hmm. But that those kinds of things can apply to a, a Warhammer game where you're playing people that you've played a couple three, four, five, t- six times over. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like when me and you play. The games tend to be games that neither of us end up enjoying as much mm-hmm. because we tend to kind of be at each other's throats. It's just a conflict of, well, let's kind of go with it versus let's make sure we got it got perfect. The rules right, yeah. And it tends to be frustrating mm-hmm. for both of us because it's such a far different perspective on playing the game, mm-hmm. you know, for a pickup game. And, and that's kind of a shame because, like I said, I think the t- out of Madison, you're like, we're the. We're the two guys that have everything, mm-hmm. you know, that that are really actively playing at the stores and stuff right now. Yeah, and that's kind of a shame because we don't get those bigger games that we'd like to do or those other other games. But that's something to be aware of, and, mm-hmm. and, and as you're aware of it, since we're aware of it, we can really work on it. Mm-hmm. And it has like the last couple of games we've played have been much different than like what we played a couple of years ago. Yeah, <laughs> so those are things that when you identify. Something like that mm. that you're doing it. It's it's very important to just work on it and try mm. to work on eliminating that from your behaviors. Well, and 
you're talking about role-playing games and you're talking about board games of how much investment there is to really design a town or really design a campaign setting for a role-playing game. And that's a huge investment in time, a huge investment in talent. Uh, for a board game, somebody's got to buy the board game and they're allowing you to play it even though it's their property. In a similar way, to me, there's also a responsibility as someone, even though you've paid money to the tournament organizer, to be someone who's not going to make the tournament bad. There's a certain responsibility to being at least a good enough sport that you don't ruin the tournament for other people. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially the larger events Mm -hmm. where people have traveled four, five, six. I mean, I traveled seven Mm -hmm. and a half hours for this event last weekend. Yep. Where, you know, everybody I played against was great. Meeting mm-hmm. all those guys was great. I didn't have a negative game. I didn't have a negative player-to-player experience the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some lists that were pretty beautiful, but it was uh, that was that was the whole idea of the mm-hmm. idea of the of the event. And it was it was a great time because everybody a great tournament is only as strong for I mean a, a great minis tournament is only as strong as the sum of the whole of the players that are playing in it. Mm-hmm. I mean as a TO, the only thing you can do as a TO to really ensure that the tournament's good for everybody mm-hmm. is make sure that you get all of the packet tournament information's out there clear, scheduling's clear, mm-hmm. when people you know you your communication for when you need to be, where you need to be is clear and out there as quickly as possible. But beyond that, there's mm-hmm. and, and to try to make sure that your your scoring of the event is is, is correct and as fair as possible. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, once you get beyond that, it's really then in the hands of the players that are playing in your event to ensure that each other has a good time. So it is when you go to a tournament, it is definitely your responsibility as a player going to that event. And we've and we've talked about it probably a little more negatively as far as appearance and whatnot of mm-hmm. of things in the past but it is your responsibility to a large extent to help ensure that everybody that you're playing against is having a good time mm-hmm. and i think that's why we still i mean i think that's why a lot of events still here in the u.s still hold sportsmanship as an important score to, and still score it because we feel that it's it, 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 that it's important to make sure that your people that are coming to these events Want to are, come back? Are, well, yeah, <laughs> wanting to come back, and that's and that's so much. It's so much revolves. It's amazing how much one guy, mm-hmm. one bad game against one person can mm-hmm. reflect and dwell on you six months, a year later, and, and that's what you mm-hmm. remember about that event. Yeah, and I mean, like for Blood in the Sun, I have a personal story about how I was disappointed in myself for not being a good sport. So I was playing against Johnny Hastings. Johnny Hastings doesn't need to know that I had a lot of expectation coming into the event because I played against my first game with Kevin Bruins and it was a really close game and I played against my second game and I got a 20-0 win. My third game was against Johnny Hastings and I know Johnny's a good player and obviously Kevin Bruins is a good player as well. But Kevin Bruins didn't have that intimidation factor for me because I haven't played him that many times. But I played Johnny a couple times and he's a very good player and he's beat me every time that he's played me. I had won the last three tournaments that I had gone to, or two tournaments that I had gone to, up to Blood in the Sun. And so there's a lot of expectation in me that I was beginning to be a better player than I thought I was before. And so to play this game against Johnny, I was like, you know what, I'm really going to just try and make sure that I'm playing the game as well as I possibly could. I didn't, I obviously didn't win the game, but the thing was, after the game, Johnny told me very honestly and just very nicely, he said, you know... Well, there was a turn there where I could tell that you were just like, man, you had to get yourself back together. And for me, 
the fact that he could tell that makes me disappointed in me being a good sportsman because it's not Johnny's responsibility to make sure that I'm having a good game. If he's done everything that he can by bringing a well-painted army, by knowing his rules, by bringing everything that he has to the table. By being sociable, yeah. Exactly, and being sociable. He did nothing to make me be a bad sportsman. It was simply that I was like, well, I'm disappointed that I'm not doing as well as I want to. That shouldn't enter into whether or not I'm being a good sport. Now, that being said, I was two or three tables away from you. And other than you just being loud, yeah, which gets out of the nerves of everybody. <laughs> but it, it was obvious that it was a turn uh-huh. that really went down the tubes for you, that you went completely against the way you expected it to. Mm-hmm. And that was what caused it. And, that, and, and in all honesty, maybe not being as loud as you were. Mm-hmm. and you were, It wasn't like you were cursing or really mm-hmm. being bad about it. Because you never are. You really are. You never are. But it's it's okay to be emotional about things that happen in your game. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be kind of excited and happy about doing well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't grind it in your opponent's face, but mm-hmm. it's okay to be excited. It's not like you have to be apologetic because you just kicked the rear. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay when things go badly. When you fail that leadership check, they're yeah. like, oh, hey, here's that leader nine reroll check. Mm-hmm. And now my level four sorceress, 47 swords, spearmen, and... And uh, my assassin, eight or nine hundred points worth of unit, just ran off the board. Mm-hmm. Well, it's okay to be <laughs> a little yeah. emotional about it. It's like it's okay to if you gotta curse a little bit under your breath, or mm-hmm. you gotta like you know dart it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to do that. Well, in fact, I think that actually is part of being a good sports is actually reacting to how well you're doing in the game. If you're doing well, you should be happy about it. If you're not doing well, you should be a little disappointed about it. But for me, it's probably the very specific difference of I had a bad roll, and so I rolled poorly on that roll, and the game went downhill from there. But then I know that I shut down. I wasn't attempting to engage Johnny at all. I was just looking at the table, just rolling the dice, and I wasn't engaging him in the game. At that point, it was simply me just being like, well, crap, I've lost the game. Why should I put any more effort in? Because I've already lost. And that, to me, is the point where it makes a difference. From the point of, I've lost the game, okay, I've lost the game, let's keep playing. To the point of, I've lost the game, well, I'm going to take away any enjoyment you have from playing well for the next turn until I get back to the point where I can banter with you. If the game is that important to me, then I really need to work on something else to make sure that that doesn't happen. I think that happens, and it'll come with playing more and doing mm-hmm. well more often. I mean, there's certainly, as you, as you do well at events, mm-hmm. um, particularly for tournament play, and this goes for almost any tournament play, when you're when you're consistently good, then you just kind of have, you get more and more into that. And you, if you're consistently winning events or, or being on top tables or being, being near the top of the event constantly where you're winning your games consistently then it it becomes more natural Mm -hmm. just like i mean like when we were started the podcast it was it was very i mean you can tell yeah i think you can even hear it we're very uh nervous both of Mm -hmm. us were when you know in our in our talk and our banter and how we came across and as you're on the tap tables more and more it becomes more you become more comfortable with it. And I think if you if you talk to a a Johnny or a Domus or mm-hmm. a or a Meal, they would they would you know they just relax and they go with it because mm-hmm. 
you know, they're pretty used to it. They're not sweating. Um, they might sweat it if they're on the top table. They might sweat it a bit if they're on the top table, but for the most part, it's not. That's that's kind of they're kind of accustomed to it. For mm-hmm. guys like you and me, you know, we get we start doing really well at a tournament. We start really sweating it. Now, mm-hmm. I know for me at Blood in the Sun, I figured going in, I wasn't going to win it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get a top. Third, I wanted to really be in that top third, top half of the event. Event. If I did that, I was going to be real happy with my where I played. I, I really wanted to win fifty percent of my games, mm-hmm. and that was my goal for the event. When I go to a bigger event right now, that's my goal. I want to hit fifty percent of my games, mm-hmm. just like I just hit. I mean, I came back from Ohio here at, at Last Cheese. That was fifty percent wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first day, I was really. I'm like, oh my god, I, why did I even show up to this thing? It's like I brought. <laughs> It's like I brought a knife to a gunfight. Yeah. Everybody's great. I'm hanging out. I'm having a blast. But then I won that best appearance. It, between that and then going out and hanging out that night, I realized this is what I came for. Mm-hmm. And I was so much more relaxed the second day. That and I was prepared with plenty <laughs> of stuff to keep me hydrated. But I, it was it was so much different. The second day, I was much more relaxed. The games mm-hmm. were much more fun. Honestly, I think I, I I played against armies that were much more closely aligned power wise to mine, but it, it was a much much different experience. And like I said, the whole weekend was great. I did come away. I walked away with fifty percent of my games. Mm-hmm. I did walk away with I, I felt like a pretty good overall record for the event and score. And a lot and all of that had to do with the interactions between me and the other guys that were there. Mm-hmm. Just hanging out, chatting, debating our game that we we're there to play, um, chatting with the store, chatting, you know, those kind of things more so than 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 anything else. It was the camaraderie mm-hmm. that was built, and those are, I think, that that camaraderie, building that camaraderie with the people that you're playing against, mm-hmm. is the number one biggest thing that you got to do to try to. Or really be a successful sportsman mm-hmm. at whatever game or hobby or whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, any board game that you're playing, be it Warhammer, be it Monopoly, whatever, the actual vast majority of the game itself takes place by simply rolling dice and by moving figures. Whether it be the shoe in Monopoly, whether it be the miniatures in Warhammer, whether it be the, the tiles and Carcassonne, whatever the vast majority of the actual interaction happens in your mind. And so there has to be, in in my opinion, there has to be an engagement of the other person that you're playing with in even when you're doing these decisions, even when you're having these more complicated strategic things thrown in your mind because, like I said, it's about spending time with this other person for two hours in a game. And now, obviously, I'm not saying that you should interrupt a player when they're trying to make these decisions themselves or you should try and be as jovial or conversational as possible so that you don't have time to make these conversations. But there are times when you're playing these games where there is a lull, where something might be happening or somebody might be making a decision or one of you is being asked a question about a rule at the table next to you. And you have to be entrenched in the game enough to be able to make good decisions but also detached enough from the game that the person asking you for a favor for you know with a rules call or something like that if that's appropriate to not get pissed off about it and say well why are you taking me out of my game because it's really about being able to have 
that relationship conversation as you're playing that game itself. All right, let's take this then. Um, a couple of things that are, I think, poignant to Warhammer mm-hmm. and and probably miniature events. Yeah. So I think we've been one of the things we've really been talking about for sportsmanship has really been icebreakers. Mm-hmm. Um, for miniatures, I find that like this last weekend, one of the things I found that was really useful for that icebreaker mm-hmm. was I took along. Uh, I we I I got a. Uh, from Prism Game, from Prism Gaming, they've got these amazing dice towers. These they're mm-hmm. just clear plastic. They've got some logos on them, uh, but they're awesome. Di- I mean, it's it's basically a, a contraption. You throw your dice in it. They bounce around a little bit, and they come out. And then I can pick up the dice tower and not disturb my dice from laying on the table. Mm-hmm. Great device. I've always wanted to have one. I've got one from Prism Gaming. Every game I played, mm-hmm. the person across from the table very early in the game commented, asked where I got it, mm-hmm. asked roughly how much it was. It was one of those, it was a great icebreaker because mm-hmm. it was something different that nobody else had. Nobody sees a lot of these at the table. Yeah. And it was able to, something I was able to bring to the table that was so much different than what the norm was. Mm-hmm. It's still so useful. They got people talking and helped get that conversation going and getting that icebreaker started mm-hmm. for something to talk about. So I think that's really important. As a miniatures player, you can do stuff like this. You can bring in that unique thing that makes your game or your hobby look or, or come across differently. Mm-hmm. I know this, this isn't a, a talk, let's talk about appearance or let's talk about whatever, but it's, it's that icebreaker. It's that thing that sets the sets the mood just that much different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've beaten it to death, but those kind of things really do help push it. Mm-hmm. Just, a, it just, it, it just helps you get things going. Gets the, gets the flow and the mood and the atmosphere mm-hmm. going in that positive direction. Well, so. yeah. And part of that for me is when I paint tournament armies, I really, I, I painted my demons first and I enjoyed them, but I kind of picked a specific theme. So it would look a little bit different than normal. And then I had my warrior's army, and now I have my ogre's army. And I really try and do something different to the army itself instead of just painting the models out of the box because I really want it to be something that my opponent can see that I've put effort into the modeling itself, into the hobby itself. And I like doing that because it shows to my opponent, I feel, that I'm not somebody who just comes up here to play a game. And if I'm playing a hard list, I'm not just taking models off the shelf, putting them on the table, assembling them, base coating them and putting three colors on it to get it on the table and play that. And that's not a judgment call against them. It's just simply I want it to be apparent that I've put an effort. I really enjoy the hobby. Look, even with my army that is the net list of three units of three Morn Fang, two Iron Blasters, and the Death Star Ogre with Ogre Bulls, I converted every single model in there. I want it to look different. I want you to be playing against something that you might remember for something as other than simply an army list. Oh yeah, I mean you you put all your your basics got all those granite was it granite rocks? Mm-hmm. People look at that and see. I mean that opens the icebreaker. That gets the mm-hmm. conversation started and it gets it because it's unique and it's different and it's done fairly well. It gets people. It gets people to comment about it, which gets that conversation, gets that thing moving. Mm-hmm. It it yet you may 
you may feel, and a lot of people have had that personal feeling that that appearance or other things, contraptions or whatever it is that you bring to the table mm-hmm. should be separate from the sportsmanship score. Mm-hmm. But it's so apparent, I think anyways, mm-hmm. that it gets that icebreaker. It helps get you going and helps get that conversation going and that person-to-person kind of feel going mm-hmm. that is so critical to a successful and positive experience at the game table. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the moving on, I guess the other thing that's Warhammer-orientated, and this is really Warhammer uh, specific to Warhammer tournaments, mm-hmm. is how objective do you feel sportsmanship, in particular sportsmanship scoring, is mm-hmm. at Warhammer tournaments? For opponent judge sportsmanship, I... I've unfortunately I've been to too many tournaments and seen too, too. I've talked to too many people after the tournaments and known what they've given me and trust what they've said to know that I have been tanked on sportsmanship a couple of times when I know that I've not done something egregious or you know I know that for example <clears throat> I have been given bad sportsmanship for my list composition and how well the game went for me against my opponent. There's nothing that I'm saying a value judgment about that, but I know that that's happened. And the issue that I have is that I understand that. Going into a tournament, you're playing against another person, and that's why I'm trying to kind of emphasize this whole relationship aspect of it. Because I've been at many games where I have been absolutely destroyed and given my opponent full sports because he played the game well. That shouldn't affect his sportsmanship score. To me, and that's my opinion of it. And I guess I run into this wall when I see what I think should be appropriate for me, and I hold other people to that standard. That is very much the case. One of the things I I think that's foggy quite often Mm -hmm. with sportsmanship scoring, particularly when you have a range of of scoring for each game that you're scoring, Mm -hmm. or the checkbox, this is the most amazing game, this was a good game, or this was a horrible game, or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. yeah, which is effectively, and everybody knows when they look at that, that it's basically your, a range of scoring that you're giving your opponents. You're going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or whatever it is. Yeah. A lot of people think that you have a different idea, especially when you don't when you just have a scale that has no guide to it. Mm-hmm. If it's all, well, just rate your game 1 to 5. Mm-hmm. Well, what's that scale? Where should I start people? Should I start people at the middle and if this was a better game, give mm-hmm. them a 4? If it was a worse game, give them a 2? How do I do this to... How does each person attack that? Or what does each person have for their personal feelings? I mean... I think I think the, the a lot of people you see a lot of it Warhammer tournaments the checkbox system still where it's all oh, this is the most amazing game in the world that I ever played that that I've played in, you know that I've played mm-hmm. this guy's my new best buddy or this was a pretty good average game my opponent we you know we didn't have anything major come up or oh yeah we had some major arguments mm-hmm. and then maybe this was the worst game in the world those kind of systems. It's so often you see, oh yeah, every game you played was this is my be- next my new best buddy type games, and that's or so every n- game you played is, uh, you know, this is just kind of an average game. Nobody really stood out. Or I mean, every game, oh, this was a horrible game. I mean, I just, usually you know. myself, I start out everybody mm-hmm. right about in the middle. Whatever, if there's a range, mm-hmm. and this is a range type scoring system, it's going to start in the middle. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a middle score. Then, if this game, if I felt you made me feel. 
and we were really companionable and I bought you a beer during the mm. game or you bought me a beer in the game, then, hey, this is probably okay. It ranks a little higher. If this was the, uh, yeah, this game, not only did you play really gamey, you didn't mm. open up, you didn't talk to me, mm-hmm. whatever, and then I usually score it bad. But if it's just like an average game of Warhammer that I catch down to my local game store, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to score it. Th- I score right in the middle. Mm-hmm. A lot of people at tournaments would feel that that's tanking their scores or mm-hmm. effect or being brutal their scores. But it's, it's I think, sportsmanship scoring, player-based scoring mm-hmm. that doesn't have very well-defined ranges mm-hmm. is really harsh on players. It is. I think it's, an, I think it's still necessary to have it as a soft score mm-hmm. but it's it is really rough and it's something that's really worth talking about well and i think one of the issues that comes up in there is that if you're playing against an opponent and you had a really good game and you won that game and you're playing against an opponent and you had a really good game and you lost that game there's the problem of your personal experience is already moving into that judgment of who got which sportsman score and why I know that for me, it's not necessarily the person that I enjoyed hanging out with the most that ends up getting my best sportsman vote because that's obviously affected by how well I know a person. I mean, if, I, if I'm if i hanging out with you, that's going to definitely well, I know be a my sportsmanship, sportsmanship score. score exactly. Then. then if I'm hanging out with you know Tom McClure, it's going to be a different game. And part of why I really try and introduce myself and really start that conversation with my opponent is because... I want to be able to attempt to make an objective look at the end of the game and say, "Is what did I think that this person's sportsmanship was capable of, and did they get there? I mean, if somebody's just new to the hobby, I'm going to expect them to not know a lot of rules. I'm going to expect them to be a little hesitant and ask for maybe, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I did, I shot my cannon before my magic phase. Can I do my magic phase? Like, there's going to be a lot of... A lot more in my mind, um, allowing for errors. But if I know somebody's a good player, I'm not going to not necessarily ask them to, you know, give me my magic back or something like that. I'm I'm not going to put them in a position where they have to look at it and say, "Am I being a bad sport by not allowing this person to do something that they forgot?" And that to me has to be set up before you even hit have the dice hit the table. And so. When I look at those games, I'm actually probably going to look at a lot of how much I enjoyed playing the game. And if I take winning and losing out of that, to be honest, for me, a lot of it ends up being, was it something I'm really going to have fun telling a good story about? Because to me, if I play a game against an opponent and I have an amazing story that I enjoy telling, that's going to be my best sportsman. That person not only gave me a good game in a tournament setting, he knew his rules. He knew what was going on. But I remembered it so much that I'm going to talk about it later. To me, that's what an excellent sportsman is. Yep, Somebody and- who makes you remember the game as well as them. Yep, and that's when I th- and I, I'm a real big fan of this. And I don't know who started implementing it first in the Midwest or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't me. But I the who the, the when we started ranking the games... Instead of doing this, like, oh, each game's worth one to five, or, mm-hmm. oh, this is the, you know, the checkbox system or whatever, going and going, okay, at the end of the event, rank your games from the game you enjoyed the most to the mm-hmm. game that was you enjoyed the least. 
it's it's not a oh my goodness mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily end up being so much a popularity contest or mm-hmm. you know i'm just gonna give everybody a five because because i, I don't feel like tanking anybody mm-hmm. and i feel like i tank somebody if i score them less than that or anything like that in most cases an honest feedback about all your games during the event mm-hmm. and basically you know, it is you can go oh, hey this is the game where i t- i'm going to tell the best story Mm-hmm. Of all games, this is the game. I'm going to come back. When I come back from the tournament, I'm going to really want to talk about this game mm-hmm. because it was the most memorable game of the event Well, or whatever. And the other really kind of nice bonus about having that kind of a scoring system is that usually for me it's really easy or at least clear to choose who my best sport was and my least favorite sport was. It allows you to look at all your games over the course of the weekend and to compare them. And also, for me, it gives you a chance to talk about your games with other people. Because when you're playing these games, you're really trying to be a good opponent and you're really trying to be a good sportsman. But I've played games where I'm talking to people afterwards and I start telling stories about how the game went and I forgot a rule or they forgot a rule. And if I know that that opponent, you know, like there are situations where I find out after the game, but not after the tournament my opponent did something that was really gamey and I just didn't know it. Or I was just like, okay, um, I don't know exactly how that rule works. So I guess we'll do it this way. And that's a position of me not doing a good job of knowing my rules and negatively impacting my opponent. So that to me is a very clear example of where I specifically can state very objectively that even my sportsmanship is not necessarily objective in all situations because I might go back and say, well, because I ended up losing this game and then because I lost this game, I ended up going into the lower rounds and because I went into the lower rounds and then ended up me losing the tournament. There is all of that emotion and all of that like conversation that goes on in a tournament setting itself. Sure. And so even for somebody that really tries hard to do sportsmanship, it can be really hard to do an objective one. I guess the the biggest thing that we want to takeaway and remember is no matter what game you're playing Mm -hmm. somebody spent a bunch of money yes in in the case of miniatures both of you spent a bunch of money Mm -hmm. but in in the case of the board game or the rpg game or Mm -hmm. whatever the game is or whatever it really is you're doing somebody's put a lot of heart effort time into whatever it, it is that you're doing and it's important to recognize that to be aware of that during Mm -hmm. during the game you're playing in Warhammer at tournaments, it's it's important to get that handshake in, mm-hmm. if not before the game, then after the game, to to wish your opponents good luck, to to be courteous and mm-hmm. polite. I mean, the objective of every game is should be that your opponent would want to play you again. I mean, if you're playing if you're playing board games or the RPG game at your mm-hmm. buddy's house, then it's certainly courteous, you know. Every once in a while, you don't have to do it all the time, but to to let to give them a to give them a big thanks or give them a pat on the back for hosting or for buying the games. Yeah, I mean, I know Jason who we've had on who's back on who was on the cast back in five point five. Mm-hmm. You know, he hosts my weekly board gaming, so it's it's so cool that he does that. And I I I don't know that I do it often enough, but give him a pat on the back for hosting and being able to and, and including me in that because he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate being able to I. I appreciate it. I love board games. Mm-hmm. I'm crazy to death about playing board games. And while, yeah, we don't always play the board games that I want to play, and, I mean, and we do focus on playing a lot more Euros and 
than I like to play. And I love Euros, by the way, but I don't don't get me wrong. I love them. <laughs> I love playing games like Agricola and Ouroboros and those kind of games. Mm-hmm. Settlers of Catan, those kind of yeah, love those games. It's, it's just great to be included, and it's important to let the person know who's hosting it or running that event. Mm-hmm. Same with going to when you travel to an event. If you get the opportunity to talk to the event organizer mm-hmm. who's running the event, it's important to let them know to say, "Hey." Thanks for taking the time to run this event and allowing me to participate because that means so much to the person that ran the event. It means like, mm-hmm. especially like, like a tournament, like a two day tournament that you can get all the setup and tear down. You're rushing around to try to get things set up on time. Mm-hmm. You're rushing to get things done and get people mm-hmm. where they need to be, letting them know where they're supposed to be. You you tend to be like the last, you're usually the first guy to be there, mm-hmm. the last guy to leave. By the end of the second day, I'm going to find out. I mean, Mayhem's obviously two days for me this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to find out. I'm going to be that guy. I've got to be there, the first guy there. I'm going to mm-hmm. be the last guy to leave. I've got to I've got to help with every stage of the cleanup and teardown and setup and setup and putting mm-hmm. things up. You know, that's an exhausting weekend. So it is important to like say, not only to be courteous to mm-hmm. the people that you're playing with, but the guy that's hosting or the guy that's running the event, or the people that are running the event, mm-hmm. to try to give them a little kudos. So you, you know, and don't ha- you don't have to do it every time, and not every person at the event has to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you go and you don't give them any credit for what they've done, it gets harder and harder for them to do those kind of things. Or you know, it's like, oh, well, nobody appreciates me doing it, so I'm just not going to do it. And I think that's part of. Uh, honestly, that to me is very much what it means to be a good sportsman. Because at the end of the day, if you had five games and you lost all five games, there's still that guy who's been standing in the back of the room for all weekend, not being able to play, watching everyone else play the game that he wants to play. And yes, there is enjoyment to running a tournament. But if you have gone to five games and you've got to play those five games... There's somebody who has given up all of that just so you could play. And if you've given your opponents a bad game and you've made him not enjoy his job, that sucks. And that sucks for the tournament organizer and it sucks for the people that you play against. So it that's really what, to me, sportsmanship is really about. So, and, and then certainly, I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of great tips, mm-hmm. a lot of things. You I mean, we, it, it's, I think everybody has deep down the... They, they know or want to be sportsmen, but not everybody necessarily understands what you knew. I mean, it's certainly apparent. I mean, uh, when you go to events, it's certainly apparent when you play against a guy mm-hmm. who's doesn't open up or, you know, he's the, I've been to events where I, I've played against the cliche gamer who's mm-hmm. kind of in social introvert, yep. doesn't you- talk a lot, mm-hmm. maybe doesn't have the best personal hygiene. It happens. And it's important to, I mean, you know, maybe this conversation helps some of those people. I, I and I don't know anybody that's that's that guy, but mm-hmm. but listens to the show. But I'm sure we've got some, mm-hmm. and, the, and hopefully some of these things help help you understand and and move forward. And I, I don't think we've talked about anything that's rocket science. Certainly, being a good sport mm-hmm. and being sociable isn't rocket science. And I, I think it's important to identify where you're weak and mm-hmm. and work on it and, and and everybody can get better at the end of the day whatever event or whatever game it's only as fun as the people that get sit down and play that game mm-hmm. make it exactly so just be a gentleman and want to make them play it again <laughs> let's go ahead and i think we've been talking for a while let's go ahead and cut a break all right and when we get back we'll go ahead and wrap up the show 
Sounds good. Hey, Ben. Yo. You live in Wisconsin, right? Last I checked. And you play Warhammer, right? I sure do. I'm getting really tired of playing you every week. How do you get a hold of other people to play Warhammer in Wisconsin? Well, I just post over on the WWHFB forums. WWHFB? What's that? What's the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League? Really? Yeah. There's there's one in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's what they are. They're all over the place. Really? Whether it's Milwaukee or Madison, Janesville or... Or lacrosse. They're all over. they got members everywhere. They're always looking to play games, answer questions about Warhammer. Just have fun. Wow, that sounds awesome. What was that website again? It's at www.wwhfb.com. Was that wwhfb.com? Yeah, that's it. wwhfb.com. That is it. I'll have to check it out. All right, you do. All right. All righty. And we're back again. Maybe. I think we are. All right. You think so? I, I think you so. You had a thought? I Maybe. So. That's highly unusual. <laughs> that, that I, I suspect. True. I suspect that there may be some falsification there. I'm going to actually be running a tournament on October 20th in Rockford, Illinois called RockCon Raider. However, it's located in Rockford and it has a bar on site, which is something you usually don't get with a one game tournament. So Just um, a one game? A three, one day tournament, excuse me. Three game what, what are the important details? Let's, 2,000 points. Let's not dwell on the negative. Let's give me the details. Okay, it's 2,000 points. No comp. No comp. Just show up and play. No paint. Just show up and play. Nope. No paint. Okay, painting's not required. Correct. You do get points for painting, so if you got your stuff painted, you get points okay. for that. Um, it's just the 5, 10, 15 win, loss, or draw system, so none of this 0 to 20 crap. What day, what day is Rockon? What day of Rockon is it? What, it's what's the Saturday, date? October 20th. Okay, what time do I gotta be there? You gotta be there at 10 o'clock in the morning. Game starts at 10 o'clock, so you probably wanna be there at 9.30 just to get registered and everything settled. Okay, so that's, it's the important things. Correct. So, what and, was the date? Uh, it's October 20th. Okay, so you want to be there on October 20th. Mm-hmm. You're going to play three games of Warhammer, which is always good. 2,000 points, no you're gonna have, You're going to you have access to alcohol, which is great. Exactly. And you don't if you don't have your stuff painted and you want to get out to a tournament, and this maybe this is your first tournament, it's great. You can go ahead and do that. Of course, RockCon has a lot of also great things, silent mm-hmm. auctions. There's a bunch of cool open t- gaming, war and gaming actually, type vendors. I mean, RockCon mm-hmm. is a war gaming convention, convention put on by Last so. Square in Madison, Wisconsin. So they've actually doubled their size this year. So they should have a whole lot going on. It should definitely be fun to check out. So all right, so make sure that you get yourself signed up. Mm-hmm. Don't don't wait. Get signed up. Paul Wisco Dice is running it. And I'll be there. Just go to RockCon.com. And they will have links to the events. Tournament so. for uh, Warhammer Fantasy. All the special rules are laid out in there. All the armor books are allowed, including Tomricon. All right. So you can have your Chaos Dwarves, and mm-hmm. you can have your cake and eat it, too. Exactly. Of course, um, it's always been a, a great time. I've Somebody from the Madison area usually running the, mm-hmm. the Fantasy Tournament there. Last year was a, it was a good event. We had a good time. This year... We're hoping we can get a few more people to show to turn out for it, mm-hmm. and I do get actual trophies that have like first place and stuff on them, so they look cool. I yeah. said about the last season, <laughs> it would have been nice to have a trophy. Being that guy that doesn't normally doesn't have a huge, I don't have a huge. I have a trophy shelf. It's a mm-hmm. nice little shelf. Yeah, there's quite a few things I've won over the year, but it's not as it's not like some people's. It's it's no Ben Curry's, mm-hmm. you know. I can't I can't lay on my bed and just be coated in trophies. If I did my grade school track ribbons, I probably could do that. But it was all be ribbons. And anyway, so it's going to be on October twentieth. All the money that I get from this tournament is going to go straight back into prize support. 
And we're actually looking into maybe also doing a raffle as well. So keep your eyes out. All right. And on top of that, it's the same it, day. It's the same day as, as Extra Life going on. So, so. ExtraLife.org. Correct. We'll certainly be have it open for donations at this event. Correct. To try to make our goals. Certainly, we appreciate it. Cranky appreciates it. The the children who are going to be helped. The by Children's this are Hospital of Wisconsin, for our case, mm-hmm. uh, will definitely really appreciate it. And you know what? If we make our hundred dollar goals each, mm-hmm. you know, hour twenty one or so, we're going to be tired, exhausted, and playing some Warhammer against each other. So there should be some crazy laughs and fun there too. Exactly. I mean, but, I'm going to have run a tournament. Ben's going to have been in a tournament. And depending on, on how of, well he does, he might be even more grumpy than normal. <laughs> I mean, on top of playing, still having tried to play games for that entire time, mm-hmm. and driving two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive to get there and back, Correct. while playing games in the car on the way there and on the way back. Angry Birds, maybe. <laughs> Slug Bug. Yeah. Exactly. Kind of things. <laughs> Whatever it is, something that's not too horrific for somebody that's driving to play, keep paying attention. But yeah, we definitely... we that, that all starts... With you guys, the fans, making sure that we hit our donations. So we need your help. It's obviously for a really good cause. Go ahead and you can catch. I believe believe we have all the links for Extra Extra Life on our forums. If you don't see it or you need that information, reach out to us. We'll be happy to get you either Paul's or I's donation page. And we'll go ahead and, and really go from there. All right. And I think now it's time for Conzie's Rant! This time on Conzie's Rant, we're going to pick out old big company itself, Games Workshop. Because you know what? The Conzie's not scared of no Games Workshop. <laughs> Doesn't I think come ca- scaring you down in the alley I've, in the middle I of the I think night. I've called him out before once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this time it's really to call out Games Workshop in their U.S. presence at tournaments and in conventions. Mm-hmm. Honestly, quite honestly, just being focused on your own little convention games day, it doesn't cut the mustard. It's cool, and people like going to it, but people like going to Gen Con, people like going to Adepticon, and these events are run based on people who spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on your product every year. Adepticon... Not being maybe one of those ones because you're already, I mean, everybody there's already playing pretty much Warhammer. Not a lot. I mean, there's other, there are other miniatures games, mm-hmm. but it's a miniatures convention. Everybody's aware of it. You get an event like Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing where, okay, I can go to a number of different booths and I can get an intro game. I can go to the Privateer Press area. I could go to the Mantic area. I could mm-hmm. go to the Weird Games booth. You could even go to coolminiornot.com, and they're selling other people's games there. All these other miniatures booths. The big thing here, the the point I'm trying to get is, I could go to all these booths and get an intro of their game before I spend a dollar on their game. Mm -hmm. I went to the Games Workshop booth. Yes, they had some kind of little intro thing. It was The booth was so small. It was hoarded with people around it almost the entire weekend. And the intro area was very not very really attractive or easy to get to because it was so packed in there with product because it was Games Workshop because it was Black Library and because it was Forgeable in a small booth. I do think that the people running it were really aware that they needed to be there with a bigger and and larger presence. Mm-hmm. But it really was apparent that 
the other companies were doing it so much better and had been doing it for they because they had been continued doing it for so many years. Where was that Games Workshop from back? I remember that Games Workshop presence back when it was run here in Milwaukee and oh, how man. you know the the big tournament the and, the, and the GW oh, Hall or the GW booth was large. You could walk into the booth. You had to go to the Bradley Center to go to the tournament because it was just too big. I mean, you look at Games Workshop, look at your sister company, Fantasy Flight. Look at what they did at Gen Con. It was like night and day. Here's Fantasy Flight. They did Gen Con the right way. Here is Games Workshop. You're the granddaddy of miniatures companies. Why can't you figure out how to do it the right way? You've got us. It's obvious to me. I don't know. It must not be obvious to you, but you're losing U.S. market share. And in order to in order to retain that, you've got to work to make the product accessible. Especially if you're going to ask somebody to pay two to three hundred dollars to get started with your game, then you need to make you need to give them a reason why they're spending that much more. Because it's quite obvious to me. And I think it's obvious to Paul here that what you're doing isn't obvious. Well, and I think really the the point of the conversation for me is that I honestly believe that you have the best miniature wargaming experience that is available in Warhammer Fantasy. Fan Whether boy alert. Other people think that or not is true. But the really sad thing for me is that when I went to Gen Con two years ago, I played in the tournament with four other people. Those were the only four other people who had a Warhammer Fantasy army there. And you weren't there. I don't get it. I don't get why you, in my opinion, have the best product, the best rules, and the best system, as well as everything else that you do well as a company. And you can't even show up and make sure that people can figure out how to play it. All those, all those things you're saying mm-hmm. are the reasons why they didn't think they had to be there. And that's... Because they think... I honestly think that there was a decision made, mm-hmm. one, from cost, but two, oh, we're the best. We can, we'll be able to survive not being at this convention. Well, I think it's pretty apparent to me when you look at company, upstart companies like Privateer Press, Weird Games, CoolMiniOrNot.com with their Dark Age game and all that kind of stuff. Mantic, this huge presence, this huge, like, Hey, we need to get out there. We need to get the word out there. Mm-hmm. They're taking your your market share. The, you know the your market <laughs> share away, and it's pretty clear to me. I mean, it's crazy. I know it's not like this everywhere in the U.S., but here in Madison, it's crazy hardcore privateer press. I look at that privateer press crowd twelve, fifteen years ago. Half, two thirds of those guys were playing Warhammer. They're, and those were all they're... the guys that we were playing Warhammer with. You'd go down to the local game store on Warhammer night, and it was standing room only to play Warhammer. And now we're lucky if we've got half dozen games going. And it's and it's because yeah, it's it's because of bad rules. It's because of some other things. But a big thing is we're not regrowing that community because it's been such a negative atmosphere at these big cons. To get the word out to show that you really do care and want to compete against these other companies, people have a hard time saying no when you when you're out there and your presence is there, and that's the first step is making sure that it, it cons like Gen Con, you're there and your presence is felt. There you go. All right, so I think that wraps that up. <laughs> okay, we hit Rock Con. We talked about that. We've talked. We had the rant, which 
was a pretty harsh one. I I I feel like cover got all the negativity out of me there. <laughs> I really do think that. I really do feel that way. I really do feel it. I, people have a hard time. It's why we you know we we kind of say you know it's kind of it's been an exhausting run this summer mm-hmm. going to all these events we've went to, but it's been so important for our show and our podcast. And I think and we see it in, in the the fan reaction and mm-hmm. the the additional downloads we've been seeing lately. And it's all because we get that FaceTime out. We've had that. We've been getting that FaceTime out there with as many fans and as in as diverse of area as we can to let people know that hey, it's hard to say no. It's hard to tell people no. I don't really want to listen, or I haven't listened to your show ever. Mm-hmm. When had FaceTime and you've talked to them and they know who you are, and you build those relationships. That's part of that sportsmanship conversation. Mm-hmm. Games Workshop. Yeah, it's part of being. <laughs> Where's sports. your sportsmanship? It score? is. It's it's about being. It's it. It goes into that. It, you know, it's hard to tell people no. I guess we we talked about it off the air a little bit. I love World War II miniature games. I bought Bolt Action at Gen Con because the guy I demoed the game. I had that FaceTime, and it was hard for me to say no after I having a demo after playing a demo of a game mm-hmm. and going, ah, oh, no, I don't want to buy this game. No, I said, hey, I got to buy this game. I love Warlord Miniatures as it is. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, after enjoying the game, I probably bought a game that I'm not 100% sure how much I'm actually going to play. I'll certainly buy miniatures for it, and I'll build factions for it. But I, honestly, I don't know. I haven't identified who my player base is that I'm <laughs> going to play against. So <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, we definitely con presence. Get back out there. If you ask me, you need to go even a step further, get that old Outrider program, dust hey, it off. I but, mean. but hey, each, each person their own. So each company their own. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on before I continue to rant about this. <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to hobby and gaming goals for the next couple of weeks. All right. Well, with Screw City GT coming up, I got to get, I think, 12 or 14 models painted. So that's my hobby and gaming goals to get those all set up so we can go to. Uh, screw City GT and have a good time. All right. Well, I guess I everything is fully painted. I just won a best painted award with it. Yeah. So the model the models I'm taking are not going to change from what I took to the last G standing. Sorry, <laughs> to the models I took to last G standing. So that's pretty much settled. I don't have anything I have to really work up or change appearance wise. There's some touch-ups I think I'd like to make on models in that and some repair work that I'd like to get done before Screw City. But otherwise, that's that's pretty minor. I, I would like to go ahead and a big focus for me right now is trying to get my Horde Circle stuff back assembled and into... So I have a playable faction with the models that I've got Boring. versus just a... Whatever. <laughs> just because it's not Games Workshop, just because I'm not scared to play other miniatures games doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean that you got to be bored here all of a sudden. I'll play them all the time, just not with my own money. That's fine. I got a whole pile of them downstairs. Let's play them. That's a that's a focus for me. I want to try to get mm-hmm. that done. On top of that, part of the I need to seriously focus on getting things assembled for some strange reason. And that strange reason is that come next year, come January, mm-hmm. I want to go ahead. I know other shows have talked about it. Other shows are doing it. Mm-hmm. But I want to tackle the 365 models in a year. On top of that, it's going to go one step further, I think, unless that certain Ohio Hammer host by the name of Andrew Sherman turns out to be a chicken bark. Chicken blah, blah, blah. But it was well discussed. I mean, I brought up, like, I'm going to hit the 365 models in a year challenge at, at last year's standing. 
Andrew heard that. He's like, oh, I'm never going to do that. And I'm like, I called him out on him. I'm like, dude, I, I'll take you on. Who can get the most models painted in 2013? The loser <laughs> has to wear the other person's has to wear and get a picture shot of them wearing the other person's college team shirt. <laughs> so if I were to lose this, I'd have to wear an Ohio State shirt. That, that, this is just not going to happen. Yeah, that's a risk. That, that that's a. I don't know. That's. That would be so, very, very shameful. So now I very much need to focus on getting all of the models assembled so that come January 1... You've got 365 I models 300, primed and ready oh, to go. Oh, I need, I need more than 365 <laughs> models to win this challenge. But I'm going to make sure i got all these models lined up and ready to go so that come, like, March, I'm so far in the lead that he just surrenders. See, I would challenge like Jake or something like that, but he never paints any models. So I'd be like, okay, I painted three models. I Actually, win. we I spent a lot of time talking to Jake while we were there, and we're <laughs> going to line up some some chatting about how to speed paint and stuff like that, how to get past that hurdle of, uh, oh, I hate painting. Because one of the, I mean, that's one of the biggest things. Most people, and even myself, I get frustrated when, I, when I'm painting to a really high level. <laughs> I get really frustrating having to paint. 20 30 guys because it's so slow and tedious and you never feel like you're getting anything accomplished yep well if i could burn four hours and get 25 guys done yep that's a nice. whole heck of a lot of different feeling and when you know we we proved that mm-hmm. i mean you painted a whole vampire counts army which was better than my 28 models in roughly four hours yeah of course it was really just single coat maybe a couple coat dry brush in cases mm-hmm. i think the level of painting on mine was a bit higher yep but it it wasn't it wasn't exceptional. It was definitely it would cut tabletop anywhere in this country. I think right oh, now. Oh, definitely. And, I, and nothing was base, but they were finished. I mean, the models were colored, the bases mm-hmm. were colored. They just I mean, it's just a matter of attaching some flock at that point. Exactly. And or my basing scheme for my <laughs> Chaos Warriors was a little more intensive, so than just attaching some flock. But that kind of lesson was something he he wanted to get in touch with me after outside of the show and, and talk to me a little bit about. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if I can motivate Jake where Andrew has failed. All right. Well, uh, maybe I'll set up a challenge with him. Yeah. The two, I don't get anything's done. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I got stuff done. Occasionally sort of. Paul gets stuff done. Yeah. Occasionally I paint time, an army in eight hours and then I don't do anything else for like most of the time, two weeks. It seems to me that Paul's hobby time is went right down the tubes. Well, we're working on actually making a more structured hobby time available for me. So yeah, that'll that'll go right out the windows the moment kid number two comes along. But yeah, hey. but that's like a year from now, two years or three years. Who knows? I'm hearing at ten. Least, or, I'm hearing ten or eleven months from now. At least nine months. All right, so I've got at least nine months to have some kind of a structure set up. Uh, so all right, so I guess that kind of wraps up the show. <laughs> oh, a little bit. Uh, I don't think we have anything else we're going to cover. We're going to go ahead and let you guys get back on with the rest of your lives. But what did we talk about today, then? Um, I, I think, think we, we talked about sportsmanship. Oh, yeah, we did. We do need to do that. Yeah, we did talk about sportsmanship. We talked about Gen Con. Mm-hmm. We talked about last year's standing. Yeah. We talked about how much better a badger is than a Buckeye. Yeah, repeatedly. I, I mean, a badger can think. I mean, a badger can eat the Buckeye we easily. Did, the Buckeye didn't. can't even defend itself. We certainly didn't say Orcs is the best. Yes, there was a good um, reason as for that. As many times as we did uh, in the last episode, <sighs> which is part of what made it the best episode ever. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that was it. 
I hope you guys did enjoy that <laughs> great orc attitude versus goblin attitude in the last <sighs> show. That was great. It was a lot of fun to do and record. Yes. I think that's what we talked about today, right? Pretty much. Well, how can you contact us, Ben? Well, I guess first and foremost, it's really just how do you find the show to listen to it, which you can catch us on iTunes. Yeah. Catch us on Blackberry Podcast. Correct. You can go to Stitcher Smart Radio. Yippers. You can download the show from our website directly. Correct. Or even then- use the little player that we have embedded in the site. Look for some great changes. I, while we're talking about the website, mm-hmm. we obviously have the forum. And the website we have is wiscodice.com, right? Yep, it's wiscodice.com. Is that wiscodice.com? It is. It is wiscodice.com. Oh, okay. I mean, how many more times can we say wiscodice.com? You're supposed you, to always like, say it at least three times. Somewhere there's a rule about it. you have to say the thing three times. Yeah, you have to say so, wiscodice.com three times for people to remember that it's wiscodice.com. Or you could just say again, and people are going to probably at this point turn us out. Anyway. Anyways, or, but you can... I wanted to mention, obviously, you got the forums. we got the gallery. We try to put up lots of pics, stuff that we don't do this silly thing like other podcasts do and force you to pay to get the premium content. Everything's out there. And, uh, folks, we, we got a, we got some huge web ch- website changes in, in the works. I'm hoping before this podcast even gets released to be able to have the, the, po- the website will be overhauled and we'll have a new look to the site. All right. Um, so, knock on wood, that happens. If it doesn't, it's only because I was busy. But we've we've met goals that we've wanted to meet internally on the show. So we now we're gonna we're gonna reinvest and try to make the user experience even better than what we currently have. So keep looking for that. Uh, finally, you can catch us obviously in all the, all the good social media things, whether it's Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter. We have a Facebook page. Obviously, it's Wisco Dice mm-hmm. on the page. We're looking for a hundred likes. We're up to like eighty-four, eighty-five. Yeah, we're or doing really, some, really good. Some crazy so number. So close. I mean, we're, this is like for me. Once we hit a hundred likes, it's like you know, I don't know. It's a big deal. We've it, been running this. Yeah, we'll, we'll like start actually looking at four doing or five months. <laughs> we'll actually really be able to focus on doing some other promotion promotion then finally yeah. but the big thing is here is the the hundred likes on wisco dice on that page mm-hmm. we're gonna have a everybody gets put into a drawing if we draw your number for a prize we're gonna we have a number of prizes they're all listed on our forum what we're giving away correct when we'll roll we'll roll on those for the hundred first hundred people that liked us mm-hmm. people that win will you're you know, we'll be like, oh, hey, well, here's a set of Wisco dice. Well, oh, hey, it was person number 50. Oh, and here's oh, some Black okay, Library so. swag. Oh, here's some miniatures. There's so a lot of stuff. There's a ton of crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's... I mean, Avatars of War is on there, too. I mean, I mean we're just... going to... The Prism Gaming, our sponsors, mm-hmm. they we have now added, or they have added to that giveaway some items. I believe there's a, their DT10 Dice Tower is on there. There's some markers on mm-hmm. there now that they're throwing in well so. and, and i mean if you think about it i mean there is way more than a hundred dollars worth of stuff that we're giving away for these hundred likes so hundred dollars there's probably we're probably closing in on two hundred dollars plus merchandise i mean alone the the minotaur doom bulls mm-hmm. a fifty dollar kit correct and um, then the avatars of war beast lord he's another 20 bucks 15 20 dollars yeah and i mean just there's there's 70 dollars. There, 30, i mean there's, there's a, lot there's a of random stuff. There's a ran- some random box set from my unassembled shelf's getting thrown in there. That's I mean, it's Games Workshop box set, so that's probably thirty dollars or more. I mean, just right there, those three things 
gets us over $100. We've got like 10 or 11 of those on there. Yeah, there's lots of things on this giveaway. So so if you listen to us, go ahead and like us. If you already liked us, bully your friends into liking us. And then, you know, it, it, when it, they it, win, you can steal their stuff. More importantly, <laughs> instead of just getting your friends to like us, get your friends to listen to the show. If they haven't listened to Wisco Dice, get them to listen to the show. We don't want to just have somebody that likes us and then walks away because we want you to like us and continue looking to our Facebook page for cool updates about what the what we're doing, mm-hmm. models we've painted, that kind of stuff. You know, that's it's one like of our the venues. sportsmanship conversation. We're trying to develop a relationship with these we, people. We want to. We mean, really want your feedback. We really want to make the show what you want it to be. And, and we want to be able to communicate with you and let us know what kind of cool stuff we're doing. Grow the show and and do things. So it, it's a two way street. So, anyways, we'll move on to our other social media light items. We hit up Twitter constantly at Wisco Dice and at Dugan Brideax. Oh, if you, you want to get. Yeah, you want to hit me? That's great. I don't post nearly as much on Twitter as as Paul does, but nope. I actually have to work for a living. So hey, I work forty five hours a week, of which forty hours of that is on Twitter. No. All right, and then finally, you can hit hit us up at Google Plus, whiskodice um, at gmail dot com. Yep. Or you can send us individual emails, pwagner at whiskodice.com. And bcone at whiskodice.com. Or both of us, hosts at whiskodice.com. Yep, that's the uh, best way to get a hold of us via email is to send it one to hosts. And we do, I think, re- respond to feedback. If you've been listening to the show you, or if you send in an email, we, we definitely get back to you. So it's, I think that's it. I think we've talked about all that we've got to talk about. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, I really could, I really am a good sportsman. I do everything that you guys said, except for Paul's face. Yes, yeah, that's bad. That was like I got ran over by a truck. Yes, 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 Mister Conzi, Mister Conzi, you're the best mayor ever. Yes. Yes, master. Orcs mm-hmm. is the best. <laughs> now we know what happens to people who play in Conzi's basement. Plays in Conzi's basement? Yeah. Get invited to play a Warhammer game. I've never invited the fan over here to play Warhammer. I, I, I would disagree with that statement. No. He, I, he's never been invited over here once. He's like the shirtless guy at board game day. He just shows up. Uninvited. <laughs> God, that was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my Oh, the shirtless guy. All right. So, anyways, take care, folks. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Bye.